Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program, my friends. It's Friday. Oh, we need to get the Friday song. James, go look for the Friday song when you get a chance. I know you're quite busy man right now. It's Friday. Uh, not that that matters, because well, what, we don't what, love Friday more than Thursday. What Friday song are we talking about? It's Friday. The no. Friday song. Friday. No. Yeah. You no. gotta get down on Friday. We, we can't <laughs> play that song. You cannot encourage that type of creativity. No, it needs we are to gonna be play squelched. it until we burn it out. Uh, it's done. Well, it's not done on this show. Uh, it should be. It's not. We haven't. It's not let it go. It should be. Yeah. That won't die either. No, that's dying. That's dying. No, we haven't burned that one out yet. Well, when we have the Friday show song, then we'll just Friday it, Friday it, Friday it. Then we'll burn that one out. I like burning them out, folks. Burning the songs out. Hey, uh, welcome to the program. We got a great show. Ho ho! We're going to talk today about cyberbullying. We're going to talk about self-esteem. Did you know bullying may be tied to self-esteem? No training. way. Yes. Really? Also. Do people who bully have self Yes. No way. You know what else? An epidemic of narcissism, people that are self-loving. And some researchers believe that's tied to this big self-esteem push that we did in the 80s, 90s. Hmm. Push self-esteem like crazy. And now they're believing, oh, great, we've created so a lot of narcissists. Unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. It's hmm. always the case. But I am pretty great, though. Mm, yeah. If you ask me, I'm great. <laughs> if I'm the judge of that, I'm fantastic. As a As a child of a portion of the 80s. Hey, not to brag about greatness... But that painting of mine? Yeah. In your office? People are lining up at the door to see it. I mean, I don't, I don't want to brag. Well, you you almost went out and invited them in no, to see it. No, I didn't. It. You almost did. You had a... I you, hibernated You yesterday. had an emissary go out and, and invite people. Oh, there, yeah. there was a producer That's involved. True. Yeah. She went and grabbed cubicles of people. Kaylee loved that picture, though. It is kind of interesting. But I'm excited about the next one. Is there another picture? Well, no, I'm just hoping. Oh, you're hoping for another work of the art. The bridled bear, we're calling it. Okay. The, the, the rearing bear, where I'm riding the back of a big brown bear. It'll be called Vlad Townsend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with my abs. What were my abs doing, James? Not rippling. Oh, no, they were rippling, but in the wind. In the wind. In the wind. They were flowing <laughs> in the wind. And Waving. They, were, they weren't really like abs on your... In your chest, gut area, they were. I mean, well, no. gut area. Their abs like more around on your, on the side of my. It, body. It's the kind of situation where you build up your abs, abs, but you still have that layer of fat. Yes. So they're waving in what the do wind. We call that the fat ab. Uh, anyway, uh, that's that's exciting. People are lining up. I have to put. 
a velvet uh, rope. I have to put a velvet rope across like my office bank. door because everyone will, like it's like they want to come in and see the Mona Lisa. Yeah. Well, you kept referring it to the, you know, comparing the situation yeah. to the Mona Lisa. And yeah. I just was kind of uncomfortable with that. You were? It's not the same thing at all. No, it's the map. One, one it's, at your office, yeah. not what, the Louvre? Well, it's close. So, it's close. No, no? No, it's close. It's And it's a picture, the painting is of my legs. A, another issue is that it's not the Mona Lisa, it's your legs. That's yeah, different. Yeah, but with Mona Lisa, you can't see her legs. There's... Uh, yeah, that's not the point of the picture. Right. See, Which then smile brings like into question the point of your picture that has a painting of smile. your legs. Yeah. I've got another painting with a killer smile. <laughs> I'll bring that in, too. Anyway, any news going on? There's yeah, a nah, ton of news. It was pretty quiet last night. Really? Um, so after months of tense negotiations and uh, two last-minute extensions. Yeah. Negotiators Thursday announced that they had reached an agreement on the basic framework of a 10-year deal to curb Iran's nuclear program. I mean, that is huge. Big t- eh, eh, we'll see. Well, I mean, it's got to be Because at the moment, it's a framework. You, you hear all these positions. Tom Cotton, the senator yeah. from Arkansas, yeah. who signed the letter and they all that, all that information that went out with, what, the 47 senators and that. He's not satisfied with this deal. The problem <laughs> is the deal isn't done yet. Yeah. They have a framework. They have to figure out all the details. Yeah. But the details are pretty good. You're finally going to get somebody inspecting. There's be inspections. That's huge. And in return for them uh, following the rules of the agreement, sanctions will be eased. Now, there's no timeline for any of this. Right. There's there's like some overreaching, you know, 10, 15-year sort of framework, but they're going to iron those things out over the next few months hmm. and come down to an actual agreement they can bring in front of the Senate. But Ira- the Iranians were celebrating in the streets. There were people celebrating. There's pe- uh, for, I, for, I, I think for one of the first times, a live uh, press conference from the White House yeah. featuring the president was broadcast live in Tehran. See, now, now and people think, were watching TV, taking selfies with the TV, and, and I think celebrating that's, that way. That's the point, though. So, if this is actually happening, this is happening because the people of Iran are ready for to have sanctions lifted. They're tired yes. of it, and so that also means the leaders of Iran know that, and it's probably was getting pretty tense there. Yeah, they had a Arab Spring uprising that the government was able to put down. Yeah, but uh, that probably has a lasting memory of we need to move on this so that we can avoid any future issues. Negotiators have until June thirtieth to reach a final comprehensive deal. One unanswered question: When exactly will sanctions be eased? There's also a question about uh, other details when it comes to uh, they want to have power plants. Yeah, with this power, but at the same time, how do we control that with the uh, is, central? Is- Refuges and all that. Is so. June 30th a fixed date, or is that a date that would just move once we get there? They say it's fixed, but, I mean, all these dates are just sort of... Self-imposed. Self-imposed. There's probably some uh, rationale behind the date, but, mm. again, yeah. who knows. Yeah. Um, Israel's security cabinet categorically rejected the new international framework with Iran. Hmm. They don't yeah. like the deal. They didn't like the deal. Which yeah. is expected. Sure. So that'll that'll continue to uh, to move out. We talked before about Memories Pizza in Indiana. Yes. Do you remember that? Yesterday, Arkansas and Indiana governors signed revised religious freedoms bills. By the way, that was the fastest legislation yeah, ever created. It's That's like we, great. That shows you can do it faster. Well, Indiana wants to get it done before the Final Four, and they get all this television 
more television exposure that they don't want. Yeah. Uh, so both of them signed clarifications of the bill. They signed, uh, says that no business can discriminate against gays except churches and church-affiliated schools, those sorts of, of things. Uh, Memories Pizza, the owner in Walkerton, Indiana, near the border of Michigan, told ABC News South Bend earlier in the week that they don't support gay marriage because of their religious beliefs and would not supply pizzas for gay weddings. But walk any walk-in customer, you can come, in and, come on and get pizza. Anybody come get pizza. But if you say it's for a gay wedding, we're not going to be part of it. By the way, adulterers, go yes. get all the pizza you want. They asked the woman, adulterers, Thieves. she said, no problem, thieves, <laughs> any other types. Just this one Thugs. This one issue she has a uh, uh, is outspoken on. Yeah. Since the restaurant story went viral this week, supporters and critics have flooded the internet. Critical online comics have, uh, comments, comments have swamped the restaurant's Yelp, Google, and Facebook pages. Yeah. They want to, in an effort to hamper business, try to shut them down. They actually closed the other day because of all this. There was a threat on Twitter to burn down the restaurant. Right. Police have investigated that. There you have it. Meanwhile, so you have that side of the internet. Yeah. Now the other side has come back and there's a GoFundMe account that has been launched on Wednesday. They now have, I just checked before the show, over $500,000 on the GoFundMe page. So you have the two sides of the okay, argument. So this is part of the argument well, is you can't you can't discriminate against gays in the pizza world. And everyone got ticked about it because this one woman said, I wouldn't serve gays that are about to get married. Then everybody threatens their lives. The phones ring off the hook. So this, so isn't that weird? We're fighting about discrimination. We're also fighting about the right to have an opinion. And it's getting ugly. And then... A whole group of people donate five hundred thousand yeah. dollars. It's the battle. The battle's on. But see, this is democracy. This is how you do it. We're talking, and it's all centered on a pizza place in a town of two thousand people. And by the way, let's get very real. These are all the most extreme of positions. This is the extreme side of all of these positions. The big problem here isn't serving a pizza. At an LGBT wedding, that's not going to be the big groundbreaker. The The bigger issue is, does a pastor whose job it is to marry people historically, does he need to marry or she need to marry people that they don't – where they don't agree? Can you have the right to your belief system as a doctor and not have to perform an abortion? Or – do you have to perform the abortion? This is a bigger discussion, folks. But, man, here's the dilemma. And uh, this is going to lead into our topic today. We want to talk about bullying and cyberbullying. And we've got a great uh, expert that's going to be joining us um, and honestly, it's some of what's happening right now even is bullying. Some of the LGBT world would say they're being bullied. And some uh, – this, this family that has a little pizza parlor in a tiny little city is now being bullied. And is bullying the way to create movement? Hmm. We'll talk about it. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Justin Patchen is going to be joining us. And uh, he is an expert in uh, cyberbullying. In fact, he's going to be talking to us. Uh, he works and owns and runs cyberbullying.us, a website research uh, source for cyberbullying. We're going to find out all the details, the re- what the research is talking about cyberbullying. We're going to blow this thing up. There it is, folks. It's Friday. Yep. This is uh, Terry's favorite song. It's Friday. 
We'll take a break, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Messages and emails. This is how we check on social details. Try to be friendly, don't put people down. This is my advice now, spread it around. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> be kind online. That's the cyberbullying song by Bruce Langford. I didn't know there even was a cyberbullying song. Man, I'm missing an entire genre of music. This uh, topic of cyberbullying, it is a big deal, friends, um, especially when it comes to the younger generations. Cyberbullying, again, we were talking about uh, the pizza parlor in Indiana, and there there have been death threats against that person that doesn't – you know, want to serve pizza at an LGBT hypothetical wedding someday. Um, can we can we get along? Do we just use the Internet now to beat each other up? You know, with a dozen different forms of social media in our lives are, that are on display to everyone, you know, we're able to share photos, videos to our friends and family all over the world. But this also leaves us vulnerable to more criticism and even bullying of others. In the last 10 years, cyberbullying has become increasingly more problematic, especially for teens. Joining us right now on the phone is Dr. Justin Patchen, co-director of the Cyberbullying Research Center. He's here to tell us about the issue of cyberbullying and how we can fight it. Dr. Patchen. And welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, I'm glad to be with you. So good to have you. And it's it's a really interesting uh, work you're about. It's you, you are running the Cyberbullying Research Center. And if people want to go find information on it, just go to cyberbullying.us. Tell us a little bit about uh, about your center and and what is what got you into focusing on cyberbullying. Well, it's a great question. So uh, my friend Samir Hinduja and I uh, met in graduate school at Michigan State University, go Spartans, and uh, I've always been interested in, in sort of teens and school violence and kind of traditional school bullying, and, and he was always interested in computer crime and high-tech crime and you know identity theft and things like that. And you know, in, we met in grad school, like I said, in 2000, 2001, we started talking about, you know, the overlaps in our interests and, and the ways that teens were using technology to cause harm to one another. And back then, nobody was really studying this. And so we did. And, mm. you know, we've been looking into it ever since. We've surveyed uh, over 15,000 middle and high school students. We've talked to parents, teachers, police officers, and trying to wrap our brains around this problem and then provide uh, solutions to folks who are looking to prevent or respond more effectively to these behaviors. Now, is it when you look at it, is it is cyberbullying just a kid problem? No, absolutely not. I mean, oftentimes we, we sort of reserve the term bullying for the behaviors as they occur among adolescents. 
uh, although there is sort of a subset of research on uh, workplace bullying. Um, but, you know, adults are just as bad, if not right. worse, uh, to each other. And, in fact, I just uh, posted a, a commentary on our blog yesterday about uh, bullying among university students. Uh, so, yeah, whenever, whenever uh, adults ask me, you know, why are kids so mean to each other these days? And I just look at them and say, look at how adults treat each other these days. Yeah, that, there was the, the story of the Rutgers uh, University freshman, right, that killed himself. Yeah, that's yeah. right, Tyler Clemente. Yep, yep. I mean, it, and, and again, it goes back to the the just people, you know, he, he had exposed that or he had had a relationship, a, a, an LGBT kind of relationship, and it uh, it was actually videoed or exposed via the internet. I mean, I guess that's the that's that's why this is so important, right? Because a lot of it you can try to hide, but then you expose people in a very large, you know, overt way. Well, that's right. I mean, you know, when I was picked on in middle school, it seemed like it was a small audience that kind of saw it or heard about it, but. Now the potential is very great for a lot of people to hear about it, or, or even if they don't, that the perception among those who are targeted is is that everybody's in on the joke and everybody's sort of laughing at them. And hmm. you know, as adults, you know, we can maybe shrug that off a little bit, um, but you know, it's for if you're a teen, if you're an adolescent, it, it's a lot more difficult. What what are and I guess we don't want to give the playbook for cyberbullying, yeah. but what are some different ways? That it takes place. I mean, it's not it's not just being rude in one comment. I mean, I guess that could be. But uh, talk about the different methods that are used. Well, yeah. I mean, the the short answer to that is any online environment where uh, anybody, but we focus mostly on teens, where they're congregating, you're going to see problems. And so, right, it goes from relatively simple comments or rumor spreading to very hurtful. Uh, you know, videos, creating fake profiles, uh, almost stalking people online. And, you know, I, you know, I get, Samir and I get emails pretty much daily from uh, both adults and kids, and we see the worst of the worst, and it, and it really nothing shocks me anymore about how cruel people can be towards another. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, without giving uh, yeah. away the playbook, it's, it's, you know, you'd be shocked at how creative some people can be uh, and go out of their way to be very cruel towards another person. Well, and it's a lot of it is uh, shaming like ex-boyfriends, girlfriends too. I mean, there's even laws coming up right now about uh, you know, posting pictures of your ex, you know, that are right. inappropriate and things. It's it's right, it's a right. big deal. Yeah, so a couple of things. A lot of times with cyberbullying, uh, especially among adolescents, this might not be as true among adults, but usually the target knows who the aggressor or the bully is, and almost always it's somebody from their school, a former friend, you know, like you said, kind of a, a former relationship uh, or, you know, the, the you know new romantic interest in the old romantic interest life, uh, that kind of thing. Um, but right, there's <laughs> the laws are struggling to keep up because the behaviors change so quickly that the kind of laws that you're talking about, uh, like revenge porn, yeah. it used to be uh, if I was in a romantic relationship with somebody and you know we agreed to capture images of that uh, experience, uh, both she and I own the rights to that image. And so 20 years down the road, if I'm mad at her, or maybe I'm not, and I decide to post those online, it's perfectly legal, right? Mm, because yeah. I own kind of the, the rights to the image. 
well, I mean, we can obviously see the problems with that. And so many states are hustling to try to catch up uh, to ban that. And uh, But that's just one example of, of the ways that technology has changed the uh, the ways that people can be hurtful towards another. What's, what's at the root of all of this? What drives the bully to to bully? Well, I think that's a, a timeless question uh, because bullying has been going on for generations. I think among adolescents, it's, it, there's a couple of things. There's the, the desire to fit in and the desire to, to be liked. And, and sometimes teens will do things very hurtful towards one or others in order to gain status among another group. And, and so I'll target you so that my other friends think I'm cool or, mm. or at least that they won't target me. Um, but a lot of the teens teens we talk to who admit to us that they've engaged in these behaviors really don't see the harm in what they're doing. They, they think they're just joking around. It's not that big of a deal. They, they can't comprehend the consequences. And, and if you ask the, the kids who are involved in, in bullying or cyberbullying, uh, uh, adolescents that ultimately committed suicide, I mean, there's no way that these kids would have thought that their actions would have led to that. Right. Uh, because there's so many other things going on in the lives of adolescents, family problems, school problems, that, again, I just don't think the vast majority of teens are that cruel. They just they just don't think about uh, what their actions might do. Yeah, that which is you know that's the there's the consummate teenage problem right that's there. That's right. <laughs> but, and yet we have this technology now that makes it national. You can put it online and uh, and impact uh, you know even subversively exactly. under the exactly. cover. Let's uh, take a break. We're talking with Dr. Justin Patchen from the website cyberbullying.us. He's walking us through you know what what to watch out for when it comes to cyberbullying and. And when we come back, I'd like to know more about what we could do as parents, what we need to be watching out for, um, maybe the conversations we should have with our kids. And also remember, cyberbullying isn't just a child thing or a teenage thing. Um, now we're even seeing it. You know, we Some people might call it freedom of speech, but meanwhile, they're suggesting that we burn down a pizza parlor. <sighs> maybe maybe cyberbullying is the on-ramp to the political world. Maybe these cyber bullies in high school turn into uh, just really good, I don't know, extremist politicians, maybe. Who knows, folks? We're going to take a break and come back and just continue this discussion about cyberbullying and what we can do about it. How do we start having conversations instead of uh, intimidation? That's up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody. That's the Be Kind Online cyberbullying song by Bruce Langford. I didn't even know these things existed. This is great. Cyberbullying, folks, it's uh, it's out there and it's not going away. And I'm sure everybody has experienced it one way or another. Uh, you see it a lot. If, if, you, if you go see a news story and you just go into the comment section of a news story – um, or on a blog you might see in a comment section, just some seriously rude comments of people that apparently don't get uh, how you're supposed to treat people. 
it's, it's it could become bullying, folks. And um, we're going to talk now again with Dr. Justin Patchen from the website cyberbullying.us, and he uh, has been fighting and trying to educate with his friend and. Um, uh, I guess, co-author of a bunch of different things. They've written an award-winning book called Bullying Beyond the Schoolyard, Preventing and Responding to Cyberbullying with Samir uh, Hinduja. And uh, uh, they've got a great source of, of tools, resources on, on the website, cyberbullying.us. So again, Dr. Justin Patchen, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Yeah, glad, glad to be with you. Thanks. Uh, talk about um, parents and what parents should be teaching their kids. How do we, A, I guess, make sure our children aren't cyber bullies, and how do we, how do we protect our children? Ooh, that, that first question was the, the tougher one, right? Yeah. To, you know, once I think as parents, we hate to think that, that our kids are involved in doing these behaviors. And, and oftentimes when confronted with information that they might be being hurtful towards others, we dismiss it or we, we think that it can't possibly be true. But um, a couple of things. So we've got a lot of uh, uh, resources on our website, as you mentioned, cyberbullying.us. Uh, so we've got top 10 lists for parents, you know, what to do if your child is cyberbullied, what to do if you think your kid is a cyberbully, what, what, you know, kind of working with uh, educators and things like that. Ultimately, the, the most important thing parents can do is communicate with their kids. So have conversations with them. And this, this helps on both sides of the uh, equation. Um, and so talking with them about what they're doing online, you know, who they're interacting with, what apps, what sites they're using, uh, you know, how they're using those environments, and make sure they're using them responsibly and appropriately. And, you know, parents might not understand the technology. They might not be up on the latest app, but they do know, you know, sort of common sense suggestions on how to treat people online. And, and if you're upset, you know, take a break and, you know, be respectful, even if, you know, you disagree with somebody. And so I, I think having that conversation and, then of course, modeling these kinds of behaviors, too, in front your kids and uh, and just going back to what you said earlier, it's never a good idea to read the comments yeah. <laughs> on this article or or a blog because they're they're horrible. And what's what's striking to me about that, it's, it's you know not so much related to the teens, but that people post these things. I mean, it's one thing to post them anonymously, which some people <laughs> no. do, but they post them with their real names yeah. and their real Facebook pages, and they just don't care. And I don't get it. I mean, look, we can disagree, but man, can we can we disagree respectfully and have a conversation about these issues as opposed to resorting to personal attacks and threats? I mean, it, it's ridiculous, like well, you said. And, and, and a lot of the boards now, they demand that you have a profile so that you know, it, 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 you would think it would create more accountability, more responsibility. But like you're saying, yeah. there's just yeah. a certain percentage of the population that they either just don't care or they just don't get it. That's right. Yeah, I think it's I think it's both. It's probably yeah. both, isn't it? I think it's both. Yeah. And you know what's interesting too is, and these people have parents. Right. So, yeah. so as parents, we could try to instill that in our children that, right. you know, there's some – in fact, in, on some of your lists, I found a list that's the top 10 tips for adults who are being harassed online. That's right. That's but, right. But one of your points is so important. Um, well, let me just run through a few of them. But stay yeah. up to date with privacy settings yeah. and restrict access to contact to your contact information. So don't just give your information out to everybody. That's right. But learn internet etiquette. Right. That, that's right. kind of what we're talking about. There's just, I mean, if you speak in all caps, <laughs> you're yelling. Quit yelling. That's, exactly. It's just simple stuff. And sometimes they don't realize that. I mean, because, you know, sarcasm and sort of, 
uh, inside jokes are, are often missed online. And so right. I might be saying something to you on your blog, and, and I'm generally trying to be helpful, but the way I say it might be misinterpreted, and then you get upset, and you say something to me, and next thing you know, we're having a flame war online. So, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, I guess, too, if you get sucked into one of those wars, you can end it by just ending it. Well, you'd, you'd hope you could just sort of take a, a step back and stop replying. Yeah. Uh, but if it, if it escalates, we've seen examples where, you know, you and I are interacting online and it gets heated and I step away and then you take it to the next level and, you know, create a fake profile about me or you know, create a blog post about me or you do all sorts of things. And so, yeah, it's definitely got to stop somewhere. What um – I mean, I guess what's interesting is, is this just a bunch of people that are trying to be heard and and they just – because if it's not going to end um, and they're going to go start making fake profiles about yeah. you, should we just avoid these types of things altogether? Well, that's one suggestion uh, that we offer is to try to just step back and, and – avoid getting into these kinds of disagreements in the first place. But I think in some cases you do have people who maybe are defensive or feel like they need to publicly defend their position um, to the death, really, or, yeah. you know, at, at all costs, not realizing, I would think, that they're, they're just making themselves look like a fool uh, by sort of behaving that way online. Uh, and it's also interesting, again, we've, we've seen some examples recently where uh, individuals who have been involved in long term uh, harassing of others online anonymously have come forward and, and talked about how they didn't really think about how what they were doing affected the person they were targeting. They just hmm. they just thought they were having fun and they just thought they were, yeah. you know, they didn't think it was that big of a deal. And so we see that among adults as well. So obviously for teens, it's really hard for them to sort of understand the impact of what they're doing. What should we do if our child is being bullied? If, they're, if you find that there's a Aggressive cyberbullying taking place. Mm -hmm. So the number one thing is making sure your child is is safe. So have a conversation with them. If there's any threats at all to the physical safety of your child, uh, you need to contact law enforcement because you, you can't. You have to take everything seriously. You can't take anything for granted. Um, it's important to keep the evidence. That's the one thing about cyberbullying is by definition there's always evidence, right? So right. Take, take a screenshot, make a copy of the message. The 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 two things that teens do most often when they're being cyberbullied are the two worst things they can do. They, first, they delete it. They delete the message or try to get rid of it. But then they re respond, right? Yeah. They, they send something mean back. And so talk with your kids and encourage them not to respond, not to retaliate, even though they want to do that. I mean, it's sort of you know, human nature to want to defend yourself. And maybe as an adolescent, you do so in a more aggressive way. And so then it makes you look like the, the bad guy, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so make sure that you, you don't respond. Also, again, odds are pretty good that if a teen is being cyberbullied, it's probably somebody uh, from their school or somebody that they were a former friend with. Uh, and so it, it's, it's important to get the school involved. Uh, the vast majority of kids in our research who say that they've been cyberbullied are also being bullied at school. So maybe maybe they're not being bullied at school by the same person who's cyberbullying them, but they're probably experiencing bullying at school as well. So contact the school, and schools generally 
are pretty good at uh, dealing with these behaviors now, better than they were 10 years ago when it was first emerging. Yeah. Um, so have a conversation with a school counselor or an assistant principal about what's going on and, and document document all those conversations as well. So so I guess we shouldn't go to the neighborhood uh, dojo and <laughs> um, get the karate kid <laughs> trained up, ready well, to fight the bully. Or should you we? You know, I, I, I have a black belt in Taekwondo, so I can... So I there you go. There's a, I don't think the, the primary benefit there is uh, yeah. aggression yeah. or even fighting, right. but, it, but, it's, but it's about integrity. It's about confidence. It's about uh, connecting with adults who can give you that self-confidence. So uh, I don't think there's, you know, anything bad about, about that, except, you know, we don't want to, you know, I, I guess it depends if it's Mr. Miyagi or yeah. if it's Cobra Kai, <laughs> right? So That's if right. you have the, if the right school, then it's fine. But if, if not, it could be very bad. <laughs> what you really want, I guess, is the, the sense of self-worth and yeah. um, strength and inner, you know, intrinsic, inherent yeah. power and value. That, that's right. And, and again, I guess, too, though, I mean, so does that – are there certain children that are more likely to be bullied? Well, that's a great question. We've been looking into that for years. Um, it, that's a difficult question to ask what I, or answer. What I can tell you is we know that uh, experience with bullying is related to low self-esteem, um, depression, uh, school problems, um, family problems. What we, what we don't know is which led to the other, right? So right. Is, it, is it that I bully you and therefore you now have low self-esteem or is it that kids with low self-esteem make better targets for bullying, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot we know about correlations. We don't know a lot about kind of causation because this research is really kind of hard to do to track over time. Uh, but, you know, we know that uh, girls are just as likely, if not more likely, to be bullied online. We know that uh, it doesn't seem to be an issue with respect to race um, or any significant issue. We know that uh, non-heterosexual teens tend to be targeted more frequently. Um, so, I mean, there's a, a little bit that we know, but there's so much more that we need to, mm. to learn through more research. And I guess this, if we have a relationship with our children, that's half the battle, right? Just so we know what's going on, we're talking, if we see any signs that, you know, if they're coming home despondent or down, yeah. something might be going on. Investigate. That's right. That's exactly right. And I'd say it's three quarters of the battle and just having that open line of communication and don't be judgmental. And for parents who have younger kids who are just uh, emerging onto the Internet scene, we've got a technology use contract on our website. That it, a contract is a bad word, but it's basically it lays out some basic ground rules that parents can have a conversation with their kids about in terms of you know how uh, they use their technology. So uh, definitely check that out. What uh, Again, the, the website cyberbullying.com. US, and we're talking with Dr. Justin Patchen, who uh, is one of the founders of the website and also just an educator to, uh, you know, goes to schools, does assemblies, and teaches teaches the youth about cyberbullying. What do you think um, on more of a national scale and more, I guess, an, an adult level of cyberbullying? What, uh, what recommendations? Let's say you got a call to the White House about how to create better dialogue. <laughs> what, would, what would you suggest is just healthy adult online interaction? If you have a disagreement with somebody and you want to get online and discuss it, what, what are some rules? What are some parameters you'd set? 
That, that's a great question. Uh, I, I've been to the White House, and we, we didn't have that conversation. Uh, you know, I, the, the problem is, the challenge is the context. And, you know, we live in a great country. Uh, we have free speech rights, uh, and I, you know, I think that's a great thing. But we shouldn't abuse it. We shouldn't hide behind anonymity or the Internet to uh, say hurtful things. And, and we can disagree, but we should disagree respectfully. And I think that's lacking. And... You know, you mentioned the White House and, and politics might be a part of that on both sides mm-hmm. and whatever Absolutely. party you're involved in. All right. it's, it's pretty ridiculous. I mean, I'm in Wisconsin where, you know, there's all sorts of crazy yeah. political issues going on here. So um, I, I think we can disagree and we should do so civilly. And I think that will result in some pretty significant impact among our kids because they can see that as adults we can you know be civil with each other, even, even when we vehemently d- disagree about a very uh, – touchy topic but so i don't know how you yeah. regulate that or, or what kind of specific rules you, you put in for that so um yeah definitely but it's it's uh it really is and it's so interesting because if if we can't do it as adults why would we expect our kids to be able That's to absolutely right That's and absolutely you right. know this isn't just i'll meet you at the flagpole this is i mean these kids are on this technology all day long and there and it's a quiet little technology you know it's not it's, it's online they're in it's in their hand and they're sitting on the couch at all all times of the day being bullied being yeah. beat up and i mean it's this is a it's kind of a silent thing well, and, and it's always there. I mean, that, that's one of the problems because, you know, when, when we were upset at somebody 20 years ago, uh, by the time we saw them next, we'd probably cooled off and maybe even forgot about what we were mad about. Right, but you right. got that smartphone right in your hands 24-7, so you rattle off a, a text message or a post to a Facebook page, and you don't take that time to, to stop and think about uh, what you're saying. So yeah. that's definitely true. As we, uh, as we wrap this up, Justin, uh, what would you say is the one thing, the one thing we as parents should be worried about or doing um, to, to strengthen our children so they're not bullies? So they're not bullies. Yeah. I, again, I think it goes back to the communication and having conversations with their kids. What, what I would do, I've got a five-year-old son, and so I'm, I'm not doing this yet, but it's going to happen soon, is there's so many examples in the media of these horrific cases uh, of cyberbullying. And I would sit down with my child and talk with, about those cases and talk about you know, these, again, really horrific cases. Kids have uh, committed suicide related to bullying and cyberbullying, and parents have to of course, uh, make sure their, their kids are at the right stage to hear this kind of information, but uh, talk with them about how bad it can get. And, you know, that, you know, if there's, especially if there's a local incident of bullying, uh, have a conversation with your kids and, and basically convey to them that bullying in under no circumstances, bullying appropriate. Uh, if, there, if you have a disagreement, there's other ways to, to handle it. But also remember that with technology, everything's there. And so you're creating this, you know, digital footprint that, people uh, later on down the road can see how you're treating others online and that might not uh, bode too well for future opportunities for college or uh, jobs but it really depends on the the age of your child and what they can handle and 
Uh, there's, again, it goes back to communication and conversation. You bet. Dr. Justin Patchen, we appreciate you. And again, thank you for your, your research and, and the website, cyberbullying.us. It's an awesome resource, folks, to, to be able to just at least start having some of these discussions. Go check it out. Go start looking at all of the tools they've got as well. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, I'm going to go through uh, top eight things we could be doing to have a healthier, safer online um, you know, approach to online living and, and working online and talking online and communicating online. Interesting, interesting stuff, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we've been talking about uh, cyberbullying and and really just online life and etiquette. You know, you have a right to say what you want to say. You totally do. Um, You don't necessarily have a right to just beat someone up emotionally online. So let me give you eight rules to healthier online living. This isn't just about bullying, but this is just about having a healthier online life. Uh, uh, Rule number one, use technology to live your life, not to avoid it. You want a healthier life? Don't just grab your phone so you can avoid everybody. We've got to use the technology to live a life, right? During a meal, let's turn our phones off. Let's say after nine o'clock at night, no more telephones. Turn them off. Get rid of the light. The blue light we just learned this week, not good for your sleep. But uh, don't always have to pull the phone out every time you're bored. Start uh, pushing yourself a little bit more to use your technology to be engaged in life, not just to avoid it. Rule number two, remember to help not hurt others. Your technology is not here to badmouth, to not put someone down. When you are uh, reading in the comment section after a story, you can feel free to make comments. You can even feel free to make, you know, suggestions. But try not to just be critical for critical sake. If uh, remember, you know, it might be better instead of just critiquing somebody to um, to just try to understand what their point of view is and why it's there. Remember, we live in a technology age when you can go listen to anything you want to listen to. You no longer need to listen to people that have different opinions from you. And so I think maybe that's impacting our ability to handle differences because we don't know how to listen to another person's opinion without wanting to fight it. If you spend too much time learning one side of an argument, you may not ever be able to appreciate the other side. You'll also, by the way, never be able to influence the other side because it's just two people fighting a one-way argument. Instead, I challenge you to go start listening to the opposite opinion and try to just understand where they're coming from. Why would somebody not want to make pizzas for LGBT people and why is it so important for LGBT people to fight for the right to have – their voices heard, A, but also be treated equally. I think if you really got into thinking about it, we could probably understand it. We could reverse the roles and know that I wouldn't want to be treated in a way that I didn't have rights or couldn't go get a pizza if I didn't if I needed it. Another rule to keep your life healthier online, keep private things private. Don't record audio, videotape, take pictures of something that's private. 
if if you want to make your life very safe, very simple, don't take pictures and send out private information. Just don't spread the stories, folks. Once they're out there, they don't come back. Or they do in uglier ways. Uh, The next rule is always put safety first. Remember, don't give away your passwords. If you don't know people and what's going on with them, be careful. Be very suspicious of when you're talking to somebody online. You don't know these people. And no, you didn't just get an inheritance from a Nigerian prince. No, you didn't. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Don't bully others. Don't repost announcements or pictures about parties, activities that you know other friends weren't invited to. Now, that may not be like the typical cyberbullying, but if your kids are getting invited to things and others weren't, one of the things you could do is, is look to protect those that weren't invited. Don't be a part in spreading rumors. Don't like embarrassing or, uh, comments. Don't – just be careful. You don't want to turn into a bully and not even know it. Don't pretend to be someone else online and don't even use that. Don't even do that as a joke. Another rule to healthier uh, online living is lead, don't follow. What if we started to just stand up for people who weren't being treated fairly? What if we could repost things that that, uh, we were proud of that are aligned to our values uh, that don't necessarily have to put down another person but stand up for your values, your beliefs? Don't just repost something to repost. Remember that people are watching what you're posting. Remember, we could also, another rule is show respect through our tech. You can use chats, text messages, Facebook posts, any other tool to um, to actually respect another person. You could turn off your technology to respect people. Turn off your phones when you're at grandma's. Turn off your phones when you're at dinner. Don't pull your phone out at the table. Respond immediately to your texts and emails from families, parents, and people that are important to you. Don't talk on front, on your phone in front of other people. Don't be in a restroom stall and talk to somebody. <laughs> you're throwing the rest of us off when you're like, hello, hello, in your uh, bathroom stall. You know, the rest of us are wondering if you're talking to us. Don't make me answer you. Yeah, you talking to me? And last but not least, uh, one of the, the best rules I know of with technology is slow the flow. Actively delete mean or humiliating pictures, posts that are sent to you by others. Delete it. Unsubscribe yourself from lists or groups that you know are mean or not aligned to your values. And take technology breaks consistently throughout the day, the week, the month. Even undertake a regular fast where you can turn your technology off for 24 hours. What would happen to you if we turned your tech off for 24 hours? Slow the flow, my friends. If all of a sudden you could get consistent and healthy and not need your phone at all times and in all places, then now you you can use the technology to your advantage. But if you have to have it, if you have to check your phone, the minute it vibrates, if you have to be looking at it, you might be setting yourself up for maybe a little tech addiction perhaps. And, and then maybe that's what's impacting self-esteem and, uh, and just our own sense of worth. That's it, my friends. Hour number one. It's in the, it's in the books. Uh, when we come back next hour, got a great topic about self-compassion. Uh, Maybe the research is going to help us understand why cyberbullying is taking place, and it simply might be self-esteem problems. People feel a need to push everyone else down so that they can feel better about themselves. 
instead of self-esteem, maybe we ought to be focusing on self-compassion, just being compassionate with our mistakes and our errors. We're going to cover that in the next hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. And it's Friday, my friends. It's Friday. Not that that matters. We love every day equally. We are an equal day. No. No Fridays what? are always better. Fridays are great. It's the gateway to sleeping in. And Mondays are always the worst. <laughs> Mondays are not always the worst. Sometimes you can pull a really bad Wednesday. Nothing worse than a bad Wednesday. It's true. Because you're only still half the week. You got to finish. This has been a great Friday. How so? I arrived. Okay. Unscathed. So you've achieved, what, the bare minimum? You know what? Isn't it bad when you're driving on the freeway and... There happens to be a police officer in front of you. Yeah. Oh, drives you crazy. You don't want to pass him. No. Nobody wants. It's Nobody like a, wants it's to pass a moving him. roadblock down the freeway. Yeah. You'd yeah. think the president annoying. was in his motorcade in front of us because no one's going to pass that cop. No. And then I love the guy that's like in the HOV lane, like that just is ignorant. Just flies right and by. He flies right by until he sees the cop and slams then, on the brakes. <laughs> And you're like, get in back of the line, loser. Yeah, what are you the doing? the rest of us. We're all lined up behind this guy. And you're just hoping, hoping that the cop needs a beverage. Yeah, you're like, pull over, nah. nail someone in front of you, please. Just yeah. turn on your lights just so we can get on with our lives here. Yeah. Where's a traffic accident when you need one? I had a friend that uh, fixed uh, police cars. Oh, yeah. He'd deal, deal with electronics, so he'd have to go over to where the car was, pick it up, and drive it back to his shop. Uh, and he said it was the greatest thing. Just drive on the freeway. Everyone's trying to you know, go the speed limit. He'd go about 60. <laughs> slow it down. <laughs> and just cause a problem. He thought it was the funnest thing. Anyway, so I got here a little later than normal just because I followed a cop. This cop, you know, jeez. Was he going the speed limit? Uh, yeah, ish, under. Just under? Like, okay. Yeah, maddening. But couldn't you rationally just set your cruise control to the speed limit and proceed as normal. No. Cops you're, scare me now. You're convinced he'll pull you over for well, something. Well, I've been ticketed a lot lately. I mean, of course, not my fault. It's because right. people want money. Absolutely. And they just know just when I to... drive my Honda Accord, they know I'm loaded. <laughs> the Accord. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Why are you laughing? It's, you're it's so a good car. judgmental. No. Well, okay, yes, I my am. My entire identity is around my car. It makes me feel good. All right. It's not only... It's, it's the same reason why I refuse to give up my truck. Yeah. Because, you know, we all know men in trucks. Do I use the truck in any sort of useful way to haul things? Have you ever or... hauled anything in your truck? Absolutely. Just two or three times a year. Yeah. I, I have a truck. My son has a truck. It's the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. But do I I've... need one? Eh, not but really. But you do feel more manly in your truck. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, James, when you drive your um, Vespa around, your little scooter around, mm-hmm. what do you feel? <clears throat> Freedom. 
Freedom. I feel financial freedom. I feel, or just the wind blowing in your hair. I feel the wind quickly moving over my scalp. <laughs> His stubble. Do you feel? Do you feel invigorated? Your scalp feels rejuvenated. Yeah, it's like a good shampoo. Yeah. Mm. It's the like yeah, shampoo of life. The pollution just blowing right yep. through the air. Yep. <laughs> Invigorating. That's fantastic. Hmm. Cars and self-esteem. By the way, we're t- today we're talking about self-esteem. Maybe is not the best way to kind of grow your yourself. Maybe you need more self-compassion. We taught self-esteem for years, and it may be causing some problems, even potentially some bullying. A lot of bullies are trying to build their self-esteem by putting others down. You might see that on pretty much any issue that you hear about in the news. Including the pizza place in Indiana. Yes. It's part of the uh, Indiana religious uh, rights protection bill that's been uh, debated over the last few days. The uh, pizza place, I guess, has become kind of the symbol. Yep. If you could, you know, if you're looking for an establishment who did exactly what they said, what the detractors of the bill said would happen. Exactly. Not going to give you a pizza because you're LGBT. And uh, then uh, the other side of the art, well, the the people against what the pizza place did tried to shut them down. The people for it now have a GoFundMe that's over $500,000, and so they're supporting them that way. So that story is going on. Uh, The U.S. and Iran have agreed on a nuclear program to try to limit... Iran's ability to get a weapon of some kind. Or it's it's a, just the framework for now, but by June, whatever, 30th, 30th, 30th. they've got to have a deal done. Signed, sealed, delivered. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> or we'll just delay it a couple more days. Federal authorities and the NYPD on Thursday arrested two women in Queens whom they say planned to detonate a bomb in New York City. Hmm. Uh, a homemade bomb using it for a Boston Marathon-type attack, yeah. they said. After becoming radicalized by ISIS propaganda, the two suspects reportedly discussed potential targets online, sought to build an improvised explosive. Uh, no plots, no specifics to a plot, but just kind of the idea that they wanted to do it to do that. One of the women had been obsessed with pressure cookers since the Boston Marathon attacks and made jokes alluding to the explosives after receiving one as a gift. Uh, oh, really? So... Oh wow! This, as you read it, you find out the people were the the two women were online discussing yeah. things. Yeah, and one of the people they were discussing it with ended up being a federal agent. So nothing was actually done. Busted. They just discussed it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, I guess there's the question of have they actually committed a crime yet, or is the intent discussion of it is that a Look crime? Look at this. All this talk. Can, can you discuss a crime if you're not going to commit it, but you did just get a pressure cooker? But at the same time, does, does the FBI just let it happen until yeah. something happens? You can't do that either. See, Maybe this, is, this is really all of these things are great debates because it's forcing us to clarify things that never had to be clarified. The NSA apparently is reporting they're worried about meeting its recruitment goals since whistleblower Edward Snowden's revelation of its mass domestic surveillance. Uh, before the Snowden leaks, we looked at the NSA as being a spy agency, and, that, and they did what they were supposed to do, said Matthew Green, a professor of computer science at John, uh, Johns Hopkins University. Yeah. But we've learned that they've been collecting all this incredible data and all this information, and now people are kind of shying away from applying at the NSA. Really? And interesting, did you see the Army had to loosen their restrictions on tattoos? I saw that yesterday, In yes. fact, James was so giddy. He's like, they loosen their restrictions. They loosen their restrictions. And he doesn't even have a tattoo. Right. But future plans. Yeah. Things change. 
Not really. He just writes on himself a lot. <laughs> uh, a man was found off the coast of North Carolina floating on his overturned sailboat. Oh. He'd been missing for 66 days. Are you kidding His name's Louis Jordan, 37, had a 35-foot sailboat, went out in January and hadn't been heard of since. Wow. Uh, the Houston, uh, his boat's called the Houston Express. It was just drifting in the Atlantic Ocean. He was picked up by a German flag container ship 200 miles north of Carolina. <laughs> he survived by eating raw fish and rainwater. How do you catch drinking. a fish? You dangle your toe. I guess. Toe dangles. Toe dangles. Uh, what did we always say, James? What was the quote we always said? Toe dangles. Toe dangles today, today means fish on the way. Yep. You always say that. I'd say it every day. All right. It's an important survival skill. What was it again, James? Toe dangles today f- means fish are on the way. Terry, I'm surprised you don't know that. No, but I'll be Have sure Have you not to... seen my bumper sticker? I haven't seen your car. He has a lot of bumper stickers. Toe dangles. I have a lot of bumper stickers. We talked about, uh, over the last few weeks, Radio Shack shutting down. Sprint Don't bring it up. Some... It makes me sad. What remains of Radio Shack's retail empire went on the auction block earlier this week. That's why the news came out about Sprint taking over yeah. some of the stores, giving bidders the first chance to snap up the company's trademarks, patents, leases, and the names, email addresses, and phone numbers of millions of former customers of Radio Shack. Thanks, Radio Shack. Radio Shack's customers, even those uh, most recent Recent purchases within the last year uh, could also find themselves sold off in this deal. The company included personal data in its bankruptcy auction. Reports say that more than 13 million email addresses, 65 million customer names and physical addresses are up for sale. Texas and Tennessee uh, are trying to stop the sale of this personal information. It's unclear if Radio Shack's promise of not selling your personal information remains intact after they don't exist anymore. Uh, years and years of unsolicited uh, and unwanted solicitations brought to you by Radio Shack. That's how <laughs> Thanks. It works. Thanks, RS. Thanks for uh, your grand exit and uh, selling my name to a spam list. As if I don't already delete 1,000 spam messages a day. That's how popular I am. Actually, that's how much I shopped at Radio Shack. Anyway. It's sad. We lose Radio Shack. But again, what's great, as they sell our names off, we we pick up 500 other vendors we didn't even know we needed. <sighs> I'm telling you. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Kristen Neff will be joining us. She is an expert in self-compassion, which is um, it's it's another tool to use instead of just self-esteem. Maybe that whole self-esteem movement... It, it maybe it didn't help us as much as we thought it did. Maybe it created more narcissism. Maybe it was a, led to an epidemic, possibly of bullying. We're going to find out and find out how to turn that around. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Shake it off, Taylor Swift says. Haters are going to hate, James. They're going to hate. Shake it off. It's easier to shake some things off. Sometimes the thing that's the hardest thing to shake is just yourself. Have you ever noticed that? That sounded weird. I sh- every time I shake myself all the time, jumping just out of my chair. 
Here's the problem. When we aren't compassionate with ourselves, we end up paying the price. So our guest today is Dr. Kristen Neff. And, uh, you know, whether you've had a bad day, your boss blew up at you, your relationship is on the rocks, it's tough. It's hard to it's hard to sometimes pull out of that. And, uh, you know, people would always say, well, just, you know, believe in yourself, have self-esteem. Well, maybe self-compassion is something we might want to talk more about instead of just self-esteem. And our expert, Dr. Kristen Neff, is joining us. She is a, uh, did her graduate work at the University of Cal Berkeley studying moral development. And she conducted her dissertation research um, in India and is currently an associate professor of human development, culture, and learning sciences at the University of Texas, Austin. She's also currently putting together an eight-week program to teach self-compassion skills. She's the author of the book Self-Compassion. Uh, go check out her website, self-compassion.org. Dr. Kristen Neff, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Matt. Great to have you on and um, and to teach us about this self-compassion idea. I loved watching your TEDx talk, uh, which I highly recommend to people, because you're, you're, you're trying to distinguish self-compassion from self-esteem, right? Tell me, tell me right. the, what's the difference? Right. Okay. So uh, self-esteem is basically judging yourself positively, right? Putting right. yourself in a box labeled good or bad. Um, now, of course, it's better to have high self-esteem than to hate yourself. Uh, the problem is how do you get your high self-esteem? Uh, for most people, it requires being special and above average, huh. right? So yeah. If we all have to be above average, basically, that's a logical impossibility, right. which is <laughs> problem number one. Um, it also tends to be based on social comparison. Is that person prettier than me or smarter than me or more successful than me? And that can set up some actually nasty consequences. Um, bullying, for instance, researchers think is related to the quest for high self-esteem. If I'm a successful bully, I can feel better than Ugh. that weird kid I pick on. We just did um, another show an hour earlier, Dr. Neff, on bullying. And our question was, ah. why do they bully? And one of the reasons you're getting to is it might be just to put themselves above average, above yes, others. Exactly. I mean, there, there are multiple reasons I don't want to oversimplify, yeah. but certainly one reason is um, that's just a period when kids are building their sense of self, and that's one way they can evaluate themselves hmm. positively. Um, probably the biggest problem with self-esteem, though, is that it's contingent. In other words, it's contingent on successful performance or other people liking you. Uh, and for women, it's most contingent on how attractive you think you are. Oh. So, you know, when things are going well, maybe you feel good about yourself. But what if you think someone else is better than you? Or what if, God forbid, you fail? <laughs> yeah. Your self-esteem deserts you exactly when you need it most. In your, uh, oh, in your TED Talk, you mentioned a really yeah. interesting uh, study about third grade children. And the boys that uh, at third grade, their sense of value and worth and, and what happens to them over time and what happens to young women. 
Yes, so um, because women's self-worth is so contingent on self-esteem, what happens is, uh, well, third grade, both boys and girls think, you know, I'm pretty attractive. Yeah. <laughs> they have fairly high self-esteem. By sixth grade, girls are starting to think, hmm, I'm not sure. Boys still think, yeah, I'm pretty attractive. By 12th grade, boys are still thinking they're pretty attractive, <laughs> and girls think they're perceived appearance. You know, I'm ugly, basically, which, of course, is another problem because it's not true. Right, but right. This is because standards are higher for women. The women uh, tend to have lower self-esteem than men, at least in part due to the fact that they put so many eggs in the appearance basket and the standards are higher. Hmm. So really, I kind of argued that self-esteem is an, an unwinnable game, right? There's always someone doing it better. And let's face it, we are imperfect. We will fail. We won't always be able to judge ourselves positively. So what do we do? Um, and I think the answer comes in self-compassion. Uh, so self-compassion, really, the simple definition of it is treating yourself the same way you would treat a good friend you cared about, right? So understanding, um, being understanding, being supportive, being encouraging, especially when you fail or make a mistake, huh. right? Um most of us are much, much harder on ourselves than our friends. Or actually, we often say things to ourselves that are meaner and crueler than we would ever say to someone we didn't even like. That's true. Okay, so we, we are often our own worst enemy. Um, so with self-compassion, we turn that around. We treat ourselves kindly. Um, it does feel a little bit weird at first. Um, it could even feel a little bit narcissistic or self-focused. But in fact, um, compassion means to suffer with. So self-compassion, it's not self-pity, it's not for me, it's just recognizing, hey, everyone's imperfect, everyone has difficulty, this is the human experience. So you aren't saying that you're suffering more than others or your troubles are more than others, you're just including yourself in the circle of compassion. Life is difficult for everyone, and I'm going to give compassion to myself as well. So so really, what you're doing, um, instead of self-esteem where you're trying to elevate your strength self-compassion is is but it's always contingent because you're only as good as the next person or the next the other person right they might be better in any given thing self-compassion is more it sounds like trying to just appreciate who you are good bad and ugly right wrong strong not you know it's just accepting yourself Really accepting yourself, accepting yourself as you are. Um, now, of course, some people hear that and mistakenly think, oh, does that mean I'm not going to be motivated to reach my goals? Huh. Or maybe I'm just going to accept behavior that's harming myself or others? Um, absolutely not. And the best analogy for that uh, is thinking about a parent who treats their child, let's say a parent loves her child unconditionally. If her child comes home with a bad grade, she's not going to withdraw her love. Right. She's going to say, I love you still, but there's going to be a but. Yeah. <laughs> but you need to get your grades up because I know you want to get into college. Um, I care about you. I don't want you to undermine your opportunities. So how can I help? How can I encourage and support you? I believe in you. Right. So self-criticism, we say things like, I'm ashamed of myself. I'm a loser. I'll never amount to anything. Yeah. What we know is from research that that type of talk completely undermines your motivation. It makes you give up. It makes you afraid of failure. Um, it makes you feel that you aren't good enough to achieve your goals. 
Self-compassion, on the other hand, if you know that you can risk something and it's okay to fail, then not only are you less afraid of failure, the research shows you're more likely to try again when you do fail and keep on trying. So again, the research is pretty unequivocal that self-compassion is a better motivator, um, a more consistent motivator than self-criticism. But for some reason, our culture hasn't gotten the memo. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, we're going to get it today. We're going to send it out. Does does, does self-compassion increase other compassion or compassion of others? Well, that's an interesting question. They are linked um, somewhat, especially as you get older. I think as people get older and wiser, they recognize that, you know, I deserve compassion as well as others. It's not as strong as you think, though, because think about all the people you know, and many of your listeners are probably like this, who are very kind, compassionate people to others and treat themselves radically differently. So it does seem like increasing your self-compassion does increase compassion for others. But to be honest, most people are fairly compassionate to others. Most Uh, people know how to be supportive and caring. They just don't know how to do it for themselves. Oh, it's such such a good... I mean, it, it just it's a it's kind of this mind opening idea, and and yet we've always we've always known you just need to improve your self esteem. But there's also kind of it's almost like you're teaching us the back door in, which is just simply accept and be compassionate for you. Just show the same compassion you have for everyone else. Show it for you. We're talking with Dr. Kristen Neff. We're going to take a break. Uh, come back and continue this discussion of being compassionate with yourself, and also maybe um, get some tools, some ideas for how we might be able to spark some of that compassion in our own self and and also believe um, believe in just a different approach just try something different more self-compassion maybe instead of such a focus on self-esteem this is the matt townsend show remember our goal is to help you find the good in the world and believe it or not the good might simply just be right there inside of you we just got to be compassionate enough to find it we'll be right back talking more after this break Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about self-compassion, which, you know, some might think, oh, boy, that's fluffy. But uh, you've heard about self-esteem your entire life, right? And yet self-esteem always is going to put you in contrast and comparison to other people. Because really, your your goal is to be above average. The reality is half of the people aren't. Well, yeah, but that's not me, Matt. Uh, Those other people just aren't quite as good as me. (laughs) Okay, so then we have to basically put comparison and contrast in there in order to feel better about ourselves. That very model is probably ripe for problems um, along the way. And our guest, Dr. Kristen Neff, has been studying this concept of self-compassion. She has a website, self-compassion.org, self uh, hyphen compassion.org. Her name is Dr. Kristen Neff. She has a PhD from Berkeley, California, and um, has, has uh, been working on building a, a curriculum about compassion 
and we, we've got her on the phone. It's an eight-week program, and we're picking her brain to try to figure out how we can introduce more compassion, self-compassion, into our own lives. Uh, we so appreciate you. Dr. Kristen Neff, thanks for being here. Uh, thanks again for having me, Matt. Hey, talk to me. Just one thing you mentioned um, in your TEDx talk was the idea of we have this epidemic of narcissism. And is there is do you sense there's a correlation between the history of kind of self-esteem talk and narcissism? Yeah, um, the main researchers researchers in this area um, directly link the epidemic of narcissism with the self-esteem movement in the wow. schools, right? So for the past 25 years, um, narcissism rates have been increasing among youth, and they are at the highest levels ever recorded. <laughs> um, thank goodness they've leveled out the last five years, but still they're very high. And they attribute this to very well-meaning parents and educators telling all their children, you're special, you're special, and some people um, took that a bit too seriously. Yeah. So, uh, again, <laughs> self-compassion is not being about special and above average. It's just being a, you know, a flawed human being like, like the rest of us. Yeah. Um, I just have to mention one thing, because from your opening, you mentioned that a lot of people think that self-compassion is fluffy, yeah. that it's weak, it's for wussies. Yeah. Right? Again, there's a huge body of research literature now supporting the fact that self-compassion is one of the strongest so, uh, sources of coping and resiliency that we have. And resiliency is a huge, it's a huge focus right now, right? Being able to deal with the difficult life. To do it. Right. So just to give an example, a recent study of vets coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan uh-huh. found that how self-compassionate those vets were was a bigger predictor of whether or not they developed PTSD oh, than wow. level of combat exposure. It is healing. Okay. Yeah. So it's not just what happens to you. It's how do you relate yourself when the, you know what, hits the fan. Yeah. You know? And self-compassion is a massive strength that really helps you uh, keep going even when times are how do we grow it? How do we grow, Kristen, this self-compassion? I mean, if, if you're putting together a workshop on it that, that teaches self-compassion skills, then it's, it's learnable, it's teachable, it's trainable. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we have the program in place, and we're teaching it all over the world. Um, if your listeners want more information, they can go to centerformsc.org. Um, but basically, we, we've done research on the program that shows that self-compassion was raised in our study 43%. So it's absolutely a teachable skill. Wow. Um, one of the reasons it's not as hard as you might think to raise self-compassion, I mean, yes, it's not our habit, but again, and I have to say this applies especially to women, we know what to say. We know what to say to those we care about to be supportive. We know how to comfort and soothe those who are suffering. The only, really, the only real thing we have to do is give ourselves permission to do the same for ourselves. I love that. Um, so, so in a lot of our exercises in the program, for instance, we try to encourage people to speak to themselves in a kind, compassionate tone. And at first they say, I don't know what to say. It sounds weird. You just have to say, what if I had a friend in the exact same situation? What would I say to them? Usually words of compassion come flowing out. Yeah. And then you say the same thing to yourself. So uh, really, once you make that shift of um uh, really allowing for the fact that this is okay. It's not going to make you selfish. It'll make you stronger. It'll make your heart more open to stay open to others. 
And really, uh, it's not as hard as you think when you make that shift. When I, I see the same thing, because I work with couples, and if I, when I have a couple that that they don't have any compassion for their partner, it doesn't yeah. matter if I teach them communication skills because they're not going to use the skills compassionately, and they end That's up just right. beating each other up. But if I can just yeah. get, and, and it's pretty easy to get somebody to finally see that their partner's not always just trying to hurt them; they're just broken. And once you once they feel some compassion, man, the healing that takes place. But I can totally see how you would have a hard time getting them to do the same thing about themselves. That's a tough so- game. But again, the research shows that if you can, that self-compassion, um, self-compassion people make much better relationship partners. Yeah. Oh, I bet. People are more satisfied with those partners, they're more giving, um, autonomous, they give more autonomy, they're more intimate. So in that way, it's not just good for ourselves, it definitely helps others as well. What's another tool that you use um, to, so mm-hmm. one way is just simply, what would you say to this other person to, to show yeah. compassion? What are some other ways we could feel more accepting of ourselves and more just, um, I guess, just more uh, okay with being who we are? Who we are. Well, one surprisingly easy technique is using some physical gesture of affection, right? Putting your hands on your heart or cupping your cheeks or your tummy, whatever really feels soothing to you. Um, and again, there's there's a scientific reason for doing this. It's not just woo-woo. Yeah. Um, well, from what we understand, self-criticism is rooted in the reptilian brain, the threat defense system. Yeah. When there's a threat, in this case to our self-concept, we react with fight or flight. So, you know, it really it's a double whammy. We fight ourselves and we flee from ourselves. We feel attacked. But we have another system, the mammalian caregiving system, and that evolved because younger and mature, they needed a way to stay safe, warm, secure with the mother. So three main triggers of this warmth, this soothing system, are uh, physical warmth, gentle touch, and soothing vocalizations. So what's happening when you touch your body in some soothing, comforting way that's warm, it's gentle, um, and and maybe you add some language internally with the soothing tone, you're actually triggering your own caregiving system. And it's funny, maybe your head can't go there. It's too full of a story of how worthless you are, but your body can go there first, and then the the mind can follow. So really, don't underestimate the power of physical touch. It's it's incredibly incredibly potent. And source of self-compassion. Well, and this tells an interesting story that many times our own self-defeating behaviors or our own relationship de- behaviors, or even as we're seeing, you know, throughout the country now, uh, just our own, you know, uh, immediate reactivity to other people's opinions and views might yes. simply not even be happening, happening consciously. It's kind of that, yes. it's that lower fight or flight brain, the amygdala or some, or, or so if we can, if we naturally have the feelings that drive to those that thinking and then we you know if we can somehow reconnect like you're teaching us back to those more natural responses those caring mechanisms you might change the game yeah exactly Um, because you know both responses are natural but one leads to reactivity and the other one leads to more um, kind of planful responses responses that are in line with your values um, which often reactivity isn't right right? no yeah because then you become somebody you're not 
That's right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. It's, um, and, and what's amazing to me, again, we're talking with Dr. Kristen Neff uh, from the website um, self-compassion.org. And she wrote the book, uh, Self-Compassion. But what you, what's amazing about this is we're now researching compassion. I mean, look how far we've come. We're now actually researching something that a lot of people would have said years ago was too hard to research. It's just kind of a, it's a concept. It's a feeling. It's Yes. I, I, uh, well, and so actually one of the things I did when I wanted to research self-compassion is I created a self-report scale to measure it. Hmm. And so if any of you listeners want to test your self-compassion level, that's on my website. Oh. Um, and that really gave us a tool to see the relationship between self-compassion and well-being. And over 400 studies now strongly support the positive relationship. So not just a good idea at this point. It's, it's hard science. Well, and, and again, if somebody's out there listening and they're like, oh, that's just so frou-frou, the reality is yeah. it, think that all you want. But the research is right. also pretty clear. And you, right. on this okay. show all the time, Kristen, we hear more and more about self, you know, mindfulness, meditation, um, yeah. just kind of getting to a more centered place. Um, that's not just an influence from the East. That's also okay. academically validated. Yeah, no, a- absolutely. Um, and in fact, self-compassion um, is really part of the mindfulness wave. Um, self-compassion, in my, my more full definition, includes mindfulness. You have to be able to turn toward your painful emotions and thoughts long enough to open your heart to yourself. Uh-huh. So mindfulness is definitely prerequisite uh, for self-compassion, and the two kind of go hand in hand. I love it. And, the, and by the way, a closed heart, for whatever reason, is still probably not aligned to your values. So you're out of your value okay. system, and you're going to eventually pay one way or another. That's right. Yeah, most people value compassion. I've never heard anyone who yeah. <laughs> argue against it. They don't. Yeah, that's right. right. That's so, so true. How do we achieve that? Yeah, that's well, the key. We got you know start with ourselves, really. Well, we appreciate you, Dr. Kristen Neff. Uh, just a wonderful resource um, on self-compassion. Again, just the theory. Instead of ba- basing your worth in self-esteem and being better than half of the people, uh, maybe it's better to just accept who you are. And but that also doesn't mean you. Can't can improve yourself, but you would do it compassionately. Go check out our website, self-compassion.org, self-compassion.org, and get online and take that self-compassion test. What a, what a powerful uh, resource for us. We're going to take a break, my friends, and that all goes hand-in-hand hand with everything else we've talked about on the show, bullying, what's going on in Indiana, Arkansas, even Iran, <laughs> the Middle East. There's just a lot of comparative mentality out there, and it's uh, it's hurting a lot of people. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to go talk uh, to Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com and review some movies that will be out this weekend. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's Friday, and Friday means it's time to uh, to go to our parentpreviews.com uh, friend. Rod Gustafson is going to join us. He's a film critic that specializes in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. 
man, don't we need that? So that way, you know, when our kids say, hey, mom, I'm going to Furious 7. You'll have a clue if your kids should be going to Furious 7. Now, of course, you're going to make the decisions. But Rod's here to uh, walk us through at least what he found watching um, the, these, the movie Furious 7 and some others. Rod, welcome to the show. Well, hello, Matt. How are you? Today, though, I, I'm doing well. But you know what? I was double booked on our screening night for Furious 7. So I sent our other wonderful reviewer, Donna, who happens to have the last name as I do. Holy cow. And she doesn't live with you, does she? Yeah, she does. Hi, she, uh, Yes. <laughs> hello, Donna. Hello. She's, Good to have you. She's actually our, our managing editor at Parent Preview. She keeps all our schedules straight, tells Carrie and I what movies to go see, and uh, and occasionally we need to send her out as well. And great. that's what happened this week. So, Donna, you got to see yes, all those I bikini got to see, babes. Oh, all yeah, those yeah. bikini babes. And this is with Paul Walker, right? And Paul Walker ended up dying in a car accident in the middle of this of the making of this movie, right? That is correct. Very tragically and ironically tragically, um, he passed away in a sort of a fast and furious car race. Yeah, down, down the public street in Valencia. But yeah, yeah. but he, he was not driving. No, he was we not the one play, behind yeah. the wheel. Yeah. But um, still, so, tragic results all the same. What did you think of the movie, Donna? Well, you know, that's probably the biggest problem with the movie is it does glamorize this type of fast driving and fast cars and all of that kind of thing. And so, you know, as parents are considering taking their children, that's what they're going to want to think about. It is totally reckless driving. Um, It's not just street racing, though. In this case, we're running away from bad guys. There's a real revenge theme here. one of the guys that they took out in Fast and Furious 6 is now the brother of of, of the bad guy is now the bad guy in this film. Oh, and he's, he's trying to track down the mob. The mob, of course, is trying to get him because they don't to protect themselves. And then there's another high-tech plot that gets thrown in there just to keep things confusing. So there's the fast cars, and then there's the babe factor. Like there are just as fast women. Yes, (laughs) fast cars and fast women. (laughs) There are just as many women in bikinis strutting their stuff as there are cars, and so you know it's kind of a high octane mix. And I'm not sure that that's what parents are going to want. Um, As far as the poll factor goes, though, the movie does try to pull out a family message and to pay tribute to him. And in a sense, it's a little bit odd to have this very warm um, tribute at the end of the film when everything else has been so fast and so crazy and so violent and then there's this very warm and family friendly kind of ending where we you know with this idea that Paul is going on to a better place and I appreciated the fact that Paul's going on to a better place but it's just an odd mix it's it's a well I mean I guess if you're a franchise you know member of this thing and you've watched one through six um this you know this is probably would make total sense to them but uh, yes it would and they'll want to be here and i don't think they'll be disappointed mm. if this is the kind of film you enjoy the fact that it defies all the laws of physics isn't going to bother you yeah, right. you know you it's going to be entertaining and it is entertaining it, it you know it's crazy but there's lots of car stunts really some incredible things that they do um you will believe a car can fly by the time you're done yeah, yeah that i heard about that and uh yeah yeah, I've always wondered how you get a car up there. Well, you know. <laughs> they drop them from an airplane. I, or I, I know. I tried to get my car on Delta Airlines, and they just said no. 
Yeah. They said, no, yeah. well, you needed a bigger plane. Selfish, yeah. selfish, okay. selfish. And there's yeah. some baggage surcharge fees. That's right. I, I'm sure, too, th- it's I'm sure there is. Donna, that's, it's funny. I mean, just because I'm actually glad you went to see it. Did you see the other ones, Donna? I actually haven't he gotten hasn't. through them, yeah. you know. Like, Rod normally gets yeah. to see things, he and Carrie, and so I only get, you know, get what, them when everyone else is busy. One of the interesting things that's happened with this franchise is when the first movie came out, there was a lot of criticism from police and from other members of the public saying that it was glamorizing street racing. And they continued that theme a little bit more in the second one, and a little bit in the third, but a little less each time. And they've really tried to, pardon the pun, steer this franchise onto a different roadway where now it features, and I don't know, I, I saw six, didn't see this one, Donna, but now it's much more about you know, chasing bad guys, and they're almost like superheroes, action yeah. heroes now, as opposed to just a bunch of thugs that are that are racing to up and down the streets of Los Angeles. And that is the case in this too. This subplot that comes in is now they're helping the U.S. government um, track down a piece of software that will also help them find the guy they're trying to find. So it's it, a win-win. Huh. If they help the government, then they can get the and software, and and it gets convoluted and really <laughs> silly. But that's the idea. And of course. They're all still they're all still ex criminals, which is I, I haven't seen Vin Diesel in a movie yet where he isn't <laughs> an, an ex con. Well, who's yeah. the only guy that can save the United States. So. When's Vin gonna just be a pastor? <laughs> I'm waiting for that. He just one, needs Matt. to be. Oh, but we see Vin's softer side in this. Do you? We yeah. do. So yeah. Vin has a softer side, if you can believe it. That's so. cool, though. Well, I mean, <laughs> again, and there's a you know, I guess there's a movie for every type, and. So, but but overall, pretty good movie. Just not, uh, you know, a lot well, of pretty, fast pretty good movie women. If you're, if you're willing to, you know, suspend reality. Yeah. Um, and We're, most of the fans of this franchise have proved that they are. Yeah. So we actually don't really recommend it for families. If I had young boys, I don't know that I'd want them no. watching this. <laughs> uh, you know, it just inspires. Yeah. An interest in several things that I would prefer them not to be inspired by. Yeah, one of one of the problems with this franchise, and again, I haven't seen seven, but it, women are really depicted as being eye candy wallpaper in many mm. cases. I mean, they they in I I believe if I remember six correctly, there there is one woman. There's a female character who's part of the team, and she's figuring out problems and solving problems. But for the most part, women are are really just eye candy in these films mm. and and I I feel you know that's a message that yeah. we need to be careful when we're well maybe yeah maybe it's not even not even just your kids you don't want to see it maybe it's your husband uh-huh. well, yeah. yes to be honest <laughs> yeah, I would prefer so no there's lots of lots of female eye candy we also have the real tough girls we have a, a girl fight in this one you know mm. where we watch them brawl it out I'm not really sure what yeah. the fascination is with men in that but but we have that opportunity yeah. for that you know visual as well and then we have the damsel in distress character as well. So none of them are female Strong, role models yeah. that, that you really would like your daughters to emulate either. That's great. I mean, that's great insight, Donna. Really, that, that's not something you're going to get from every other reviewer across the country. That's why parent previews well, matters because you're giving us a view of, uh, you know, from a mom. Well, and we hope so. We hope that we can share that because you're not going to read this from the, the fans of the franchise. Right. They're going to be looking at the car races. They're going to be looking at the adrenaline rush that you get from this. It provides that, 
but it provides some adrenaline <laughs> rush in other areas too that sure. are that, really not that healthy right. for yeah. good social behavior. And overall, the the rank and file movie critics are actually liking this one. You know, just checking on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got an eighty three percent. Yeah, uh, the audience score is ninety two percent, and I think with the Paul Walker um, motivation put into this, that people are really being attracted to this and are feeling some very sentimental thoughts as they're watching it as well. And I think that that really is the case. Um, the the tribute at the end is probably five seven minutes long, oh, so is it's it really? really lengthy when you look at the whole runtime of the movie. And it really does. It just flashes back to many of the sequences that you've seen him in, and, and you know it. It <laughs> even I teared up a little. Yeah. Um, you know, because it really is sad to to some, lose somebody for such a tragic loss. But for me, that's what is, is just so painful about the whole thing, is we promote this kind of crazy behavior in movies, and then when it really does claim someone's life, you know, it, it's just a little bit too much reality, and it's very sad. And, I mean, it, I, interestingly, it also means a lot of the fans of street racing, they're watching it, too. So, it, you know, it's going to educate it, I, I mean, it, it educated him one way, but it's probably going to also create a reality that, you know, there was a yeah, there was well, an accident scene. Yeah, you would hope so. But when you look at the fantasy of the of the racing world and that, you know, the other, you know, hour and a half of the film is devoted to that. That's true. I'm not really sure that that message will really connect. That's true. No, it's so true. Uh, we appreciate you, Donna. And thanks for doing that. Uh, oh, you're most welcome. There are some other movies coming out uh, just on DVD this, this weekend as well, right? We have about 30 seconds, Rod. What should we be looking for on DVD? Well, the big one, um, two big ones, actually. No, I take that back three, Matt. Yeah. The Imitation Game, which, of course, is the um, the story about the mathematician Alan Turing, which I really enjoyed. One of my favorite movies from last year out mm. on DVD. Interstellar is finally out on DVD. This is one, if you've got a Blu-ray player and you've got the big screen, go for broke, get the Blu-ray, put the chair about three feet in front of the screen because that's how this movie looks the best. And then Wild with Reese Witherspoon. Uh, Wild with Rated R has an interesting message about, um, about the choices that we make in life, but big warning to parents, you know, you've got about 20 to 30 uh, sexual expletives in this film and uh, some other content you'd want to be aware of. Okay. Man, that's a great lineup, though. Yeah, Yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. This is the time of year where a lot of the Oscar movies now are being released to home video. Good stuff. Well, Donna and Rod Gustafson, we appreciate you and your website, parentpreviews.com. Go check it out, folks, for other other movies and uh, just let it be your source uh, for good parenting and media choice. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, your coach host. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to say co-host. I'm your coach, Dr. Matt Townsend, your host, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program, hour number three. Mm. Three hours of fun. Facts. There were some facts. We gave some facts today. Fun. It was fun. We had it was fun. It was fun. 
It's not over. The fun's just begun. Welcome to the program. Uh, have we got a Have we got a, uh, a show for you, uh, James? I have to ask you this because you're a, you're in gag to be marred. Yes. Um, or I meant engaged to be married. Did you make a list before you married Mustache, or before you found Mustache to marry? Mustache? Uh, that's an interesting... Yeah, name. it's kind of hurtful. Well, what's her name? It's a problem. Well, I, if I knew her name, I wouldn't call her Mustache. Mustache? Uh, Malkovich? Malkovich? Are you talking about... Ma- 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 Mustafa? Monchichi? Monchichi. Maverick? Before you married, Before you got engaged to Maverick... Did you make a list of everything you want in your mate, your future prospective mate? I think like, I don't know, maybe like three years ago I did maybe. Can you pull it out right now? Is it in your wallet? It's not in my wallet. Yes, it is. I think I burned it. Did you? Yeah. Did did Mustafa meet the list? Did she? Did you check them all off? Uh, I guess in a mental list to a certain extent, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, our guest later in the show today, is gonna, she's going to talk about really what should be on that list. Because some things we put on the list aren't half as important as other things. So we're going to talk about what should be on the list. Mm-hmm. Mm. And we'll see if you and Mustafa got it right. I'm dying to see her list. Because you guys are going to come see me. We're going to do a little pre-marriage counseling, right? Of course, yeah. And we're going to do it on the air. Right? Just the three of us. Um, well, we're still working out the details. Yeah, we need to book the time. And yeah, there's just a lot of. Well, I mean, commitment. we got plenty of time. If we oh, schedule yeah. it now, they're getting married in May. Yeah, yeah, we have a whole month. We, we, we should really do that. We should have on-air marriage counseling. I've, I want to. I don't see some, where that could go wrong at all. No, no. We could do it a couple hours. Yeah. It's uh, by the way, the countdown to the wedding of the millennium is 29 days, seven hours, and 11 minutes. The Wedding of the Millennium. I think that should actually read The Wedding of the Millennials. Yeah, that would be more accurate. The no, other one's kind of overstated. Two millennials. I don't know. I think this really is The Wedding of the Millennium. Well, it is your wedding of your millennium. Yep. Yeah. It's and gonna be. I think it's the wedding of everyone's millennium. Really. I mean, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This so, is a big deal. On my list. Yeah. That I'd never made. But, the, you know, you have a kind of a mental checklist. In your, in your head. I kind of was looking for someone either educated or a love of education, someone who liked to learn, mm-hmm. someone who I could talk to, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, right? You got that. Stanford. Yeah. That's a place where people go to learn. Yeah, it is. Allegedly. No, there's, there's some that go there to play football. and Right. Yeah, but they learn, too. A couple of them. Uh, the Stanford University will provide free tuition to parents of students who earn less than $125,000 a year. Oh, and cool. if they make less than $65,000 a year, they won't have to contribute to room and board. Wow. That's a big step. Students are still expected to pay 5000 a year towards college costs from summer earnings and part-time work while enrolled in college. So if you could be one in a million that could actually get accepted... Yes. If you, it takes a lot to get accepted. But once you're accepted in, then your tuition is free if your parents make under $120,000. Yeah. That's fantastic. I'm going to apply. Stanford enrolls a high proportion of wealthy students who pay higher tuitions that help subsidize lower-income students. That's great. But by the way, 100, lower than 120 is a lower-income student. Yes. And Stanford is one of the world's richest universities with an endowment of $21 billion. That is so cool. That's great. Yeah. I'm going there. 
They're trying. My to... mom, she's you know, she's. So what they're saying is, if you can make it, you're, you're... regardless of your situation, you can get an education. It's fantastic. My mom's, uh, you know, she's seventy-five, so I'm pretty sure she's not making one hundred and twenty. Right. She's retired. Yeah. So you could probably I'm apply. I'm in. Big time. Uh, Easter is this weekend. Didn't know if you knew that. Today's Good Friday. Happy Good Friday to everybody. Happy Good Friday. Happy Good Friday, James. Thanks. Apparently, when it's cold outside, consumers want to poach, fry, and scramble eggs in the morning for breakfast a lot. Yes. So uh, this comes from commodity researcher Erner Berry. He researches eggs and He's consumer. He's an egg researcher. That's his career. Uh, all that cracking means hens are having a hard time keeping up with demand, especially as experts exports surge to Canada and Mexico. So apparently oh, egg exports are We're exporting are up. eggs. Wholesale U.S. prices are the highest ever for eggs leading into Easter, according to our good friend Erner Berry. He's the yeah. guy looking at all this. Um, he says this is the highest since 1858. The highest price for eggs. With protein-heavy diets gaining popularity, Americans in 2015 will eat the most eggs per person mm. in three decades. Government data is showing Americans will eat 6.3 billion eggs in the month leading up to the holiday, Easter, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. You know what? Plus, just these kids that are just throwing eggs. Yeah. They're egging houses and yes. cars. See, that is destructive. And those science projects where you drop them out the uh-huh. window, see if you can crack an egg. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's, wasteful. Or like you have to parent an egg. Did you ever see that? Yeah. 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 Eggs. Who would have thunk? Eggs, it's a growing, booming market. It's. I would invest. Now's a good time to invest in the egg market. That's. How does one do that? I don't know. You get a chicken. That's not really investing. That's buying in. Investing, I, I would see you'd you'd find a company. Oh no! That no, has no. egg farms. How hard could it be would, to have a chicken? Well, you just throw out some, some grit, grain, grain, grit, whatever. Let them make eggs all day. I think that's all it takes. Yeah, they just take care Play of themselves. Some sweet music, some egg making music. <laughs> Sit back, <laughs> dim the lights. I don't know how it works. I'm not a. I'm not a farmer. I, I grasp that from your description. Uh, you, seem, you you conveyed a lack of knowledge very well. The, um, my sister's. <laughs> my sister has chickens, and they usually lose. You know, one a year, two a year, just dead. Yeah, or just a dog. You know, you just got to fix the coop. So there's an Easter egg. They're not really a shortage. It's more they're, they're more expensive, and that's because you know colder weather people eat eggs for breakfast. It's the new currency. And then Canada and Mexico want eggs. It's the new currency. Speaking of Mexico, cyber cash. It's, one of it's my like cyber. It's like Bitcoin. Mexico. One of my favorite movies. Chicken eggs. That I'm looking forward to is the new 007 movie. Yes. Called Spectre. Spectre. It's coming out, I believe, in November. Mm-hmm. But uh, Mexico City officials said Thursday that recent filming for the upcoming James Bond movie, Spectre, was a business boon for the capital, despite complaints over lost sales blamed on street closures. Hotel occupancy in the historic center of Mexico City rose 30% during the filming, and the number of visitors to the d- district was up 53%. What are they complaining about? They're complaining because their businesses get shut down. Yeah. So they can film. They're uh, given they're, these businesses are given up to uh, two thousand dollars a day that they're closed. Yeah. And so I mean they're they're paying out money and all this, but they're not getting 
any sort of, I mean, there's people there, but no one's frequenting the businesses. So they're saying Mexico City's losing out on the deal because uh, Sony Pictures discussed in, you remember the, the hack? When yeah, Sony pictures Sony their hack, email servers were yeah. hacked by, well, in those emails that were exposed, it says that Mexico paid them twenty million dollars to, to do the to movie. film there, to rewrite the script, to put a, 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 a actress of Mexican descent in a lead role, and to portray the Day of the Dead celebrations that they have down in Mexico City in a positive light. Interesting. And so they might be paying out $2,000 per business, but it comes nowhere near the total of $20, 20 million, million. Sure. they paid out for the PR. Let me tell you how you fix this. Get on the uh, as an expert uh, in relationships and relationship building, what you do, you take down about 500 dozen eggs. Okay. Because we just learned Mexico loves right. eggs. They love eggs. And so when people are like, hey, this isn't fair. You're closing down my business. You say, hey, dude, here. Hey, hey, just take some eggs. Here's an egg. Here's, here's a dozen eggs. Go feed your family. That or Kohl's Cash. I'd go to Kohl's Cash. Again, there's a currency. There's a lot of currency. Mm-hmm. We, we talk about gold, oil, Bitcoin. You always hear the price of the dollar. We've also told you that human waste uh, has valuable metals in it. That might be another thing to invest in. Yeah. And now, eggs. Hey, uh, so how many eggs is it going to take to make you shut up? Well, normally I'd ask for $5, but uh, I guess I'd go for six eggs. Six, how about five and a half eggs? All right, five and a half eggs. All right. Hey, Louie, bring a half an egg in here. Hey, here's the deal. By the way, that dramatization brought to you by Egg Farmers of America. Egg Farmers of America, feeding your family one egg at a time. We like doing dramatizations on the show. Today was a slow dramatization day. We only did one, James. Terry still has to do his. Terry's not really good at acting. Oh, yeah, that's true. But don't tell him I said that. Just give him an egg and walk away. We're going to take a break, my friends. And uh, we've got a great guest. Gwendolyn Seidman's going to be joining us. She is going to talk about the list. Did you make a list about the, the many qualities you want in your partner? You know, do you remember the list? All the things you were hoping you'd get. She's going to teach us what should be on that list when you're out there trying to find a new partner. Good insight. We'll get to it, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little flow rider for you. We're breaking ground here on BYU Radio. The first time flow rider has ever played across the airwaves from BYU Radio. That's good feeling. Mm. You know, when, you, uh, when you're in love, and even before you're in love, and as a, as a teenager or, a, you know, whenever, you may have made the list. Everything you want to have in that partner someday... Well, what should be on the list? You know, it's one thing, the list you make when you're 25 or 30. It's another list for what really is going to matter 
to make a healthy, long-term, sustainable relationship. And we have a wonderful guest that has written an article, What We Need Most from a Relationship, on psychology today. Her name is Gwendolyn Seidman, and Gwendolyn is a Ph.D. and associate professor of psychology and chair of the psychology department of, at Albright College. She received her doctorate in social personality psychology from NYU. She studies self-expression, self-presentation on the Internet, cognition in close relationships, and social support. Gwendolyn Seidman, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Great to have you. And, um, you know, people make those lists, but sometimes the list you make when you're young and all, you know, chemically charged isn't always the list that's going to create a healthy long-term relationship. So teach us, what are the character traits that, you know, people tend to look for in partners? Well, in general, when people sort of make a list of of what they look for in partners, typically um, people do want sort of um, a nice, kind, caring partner. Yeah. Uh, They want somebody who's physically attractive. Hot. They want someone, yes, of course. They want someone who's intelligent. Um, I think, you know, most of us would agree that we we want those things. so what some of this research was that I wrote about was talking about how the extent to which our, our current partners meet those standards actually predict how happy we are in the relationship. You know, which of those things does it, does it sort of matter the most? Hmm. Does it is, it, is it if they meet the requirement that makes us happy? Um, or is it just that that's, uh, I guess, that's kind of what I'm looking for. I made the list. That's what made my list. So that's what I'm looking for. It's more do they meet, and that's the requirements, but it was how close are they to your ideals? Oh, interesting. So the idea is you can kind of rate, well, my ideal partner is, you know, a six on this trait or whatever you might rate them as. Yeah. So, um, you know, do they match whatever my ideal is on that trait? But in your, um, and that's sort of what they assess. Okay, and in your research, you could probably you could. It looks like you uh, suggest that you could take a list from um, you know a lot of traits and break it down maybe into two fairly basic but broad categories. Yeah. So in the in the paper that I wrote about in the article, that's kind of what they did. I mean, really, it was sort of five categories, but then they kind of yeah. lumped them into, huh. into two. Um, so basically, the first category that uh, they talk about is this sort of combination of warmth and loyalty. Uh, so basically, that includes traits like understanding, supportive, kind, sensitive, affectionate, um, and also even things like being, you know, honest and mature and a good communicator, um, and that that sort of thing. Having a relationship with respect and understanding and equality and sharing yeah. and that sort of stuff. And these were traits that are more sort of intrinsic to relationship success. Like if you were to say, you know, what traits do you need in a partner in a relationship for it to be good, you'd probably say, oh, yeah, those sound, you know, really important. Yeah. If you don't have those things, you don't have a good relationship. You got to have loyalty. You got to have kindness. I got to be able to trust you. So it's kind of those are kind of the soft relationship needs. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of one group of traits. And then the other group sort of contains these dimensions of vitality, status and passion. So these are also 
you know, very positive traits, but they're a little bit different. So vitality and attractiveness would be obviously things like attractive, sexy, but also stuff like adventurous, independent, ambitious, good sense of humor, fun, creative, intelligent, just the sort of things that, you know, you would think would make a person basically kind of interesting to be around. Yeah. And but more visual. I mean, those are almost more tangible in a way. You can, you can measure. It just seems like more obviously measure somebody's status, maybe than their than maybe their trustworthiness. Yeah. So these things maybe even seem a little bit more objective, or even a little bit more, um, I don't know, consensual. I mean, one of the things they talk about in that in that article is this idea that these traits are more extrinsic. So there's things that other people would value. So if they were to sort of look at your partner, they would say, oh, wow, look at this good-looking, successful partner that you have, uh, as opposed to the other stuff, which is stuff that really is more in the kind of intimate realm of the relationship itself, as yeah. being warm and trustworthy. Other people aren't like, wow, look at how trustworthy your partner is. Yeah. Is it, did you see a difference between men and women? Do women prefer more of the objective or and the women more of the subjective traits or was it was it fairly equal between the genders well in that study um, they didn't there didn't seem to be gender differences there um, in general studies that look at what people sort of look for in a potential mate um, in those particular studies usually women are going to rate attractiveness a little bit lower on the list than men do hmm. and they're going to rate sort of the guy's status and resources a little bit higher but there aren't major, major differences. Um, both genders tend to put, in fact, being warm and kind as, as number one, intelligence typically like number two. Uh, so the main difference is that men might put attractiveness sort of in the top four, and women might put it at like number six. Hmm. Isn't that uh, so? It's, but but it's, it's you know it's kind of universal. I mean, everyone's a little different, but um, it's just such an interesting thing. You can, so basically, when we make our list, we, we're basically making them into two categories. Warmth, loyalty, kind of the more subjective characteristics, vitality, status, passion, the more objective ones. And uh, what do we do with that? Well, what's, what's interesting is that, I mean, obviously, if we go out in the world and we're looking for mates, we look for people to, to match those things. Um, in that particular study, they were interested in, you know, is the person you're with a match on those things? And to what extent? Now, obviously, they must be a match to some extent or else you wouldn't be involved with them, presumably. Right. right. Um, so these are couples that are already together. And so what they looked at in that paper was, you know, to, to what extent does the the, um, the fact that they meet your ideal standards on those traits predict how happy you're going to be in that relationship. Huh. And they, as I said, they kind of divided them into those two categories, right? the sort of warmth, loyalty stuff, and this vitality status, passion, a more sort of extrinsic stuff. Is, is, and, and happiness is tied to that. Is, um, so is, that, is, is the happiness then a byproduct of just meeting their expectation? They expected this and they're getting their expectation met? Or is it basically that those five traits lead to happiness? I mean, it's actually, it's actually a really good question, right? Because you might think that it's just about meeting your expectations. I mean, the fact that uh, – so in the results, uh, it basically found that people, if their partner met their sort of intrinsic warmth loyalty ideal, that that was a better predictor of how happy they were going to be than if they met those more extrinsic oh, status, yeah. passion ideals. So it does suggest it's not just – 
So we know that in general, from a lot of other research that came before, that not shockingly, the closer your partner is to your ideal, yeah. the happier you are with that person. That's not too surprising. Well, it, maybe um, that tells us just lower your expectations, folks. <laughs> if you just lower your expectation, you're going to be one happy camper. But, <laughs> that's right. You just think, you just think hey, the guy's perfect as he's, long as you know yeah. he's not a horrible human being. That's right. Okay. He's nice and he breathes. So I got one and two down. Um, We're talking with Dr. Gwendolyn Seidman. We're going to take a break, come back and talk more to her. She is Associate Professor of Psychology and Chair of the Psychology Department at Albright College. She's teaching us about what we might want to be looking for in our relationships, especially expectations and happiness. When we come back, we'll get into some extrinsic versus intrinsic uh, concepts as well. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Remember, trying to help you uh, love stronger This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back continuing this discussion after the break. to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Gwendolyn Seidman is joining us. She is an associate professor of psychology and chair of the psychology department at Albright College. And uh, she's here today talking about an article she uh, she uh, found or wrote about on psychologytoday.com, uh, what we need most from our relationship and uh, so far, what we're learning is, you know, we could we could take every trait you've ever put down on a piece of paper if you were writing about your future spouse or, you know, potential partner. Um, it's going to basically be able to come down to two categories, kind of a warmth, loyalty category about uh, kind of the relationship side, the basic kind of soft, subjective needs you have in a relationship, kindness, support. Maturity. Then we're going to also have another category, vitality, status, possession. Some of the, uh, I guess, more tangibles, I guess, I don't know, uh, more uh, more ob- objective traits, you know, physically attractive, successful, funny, interesting, outgoing. She's teaching us. But in the end, what the key might be is just your expectation. If you expect these things and then those needs are met, you t- tend to feel happier. Dr. Gwendolyn Seidman, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me. What What about, uh, I know in the article as well, it talks about extrinsic versus intrinsic goals. What What's that all about? How does that help us in our, you know, in what we need in our relationships? All right, so this comes from a general framework of the idea that you can have goals that are intrinsic, which means they're basically kind of valuable unto themselves, um, as opposed to extrinsic, which means they're a means to another end. Mm. This comes from uh, just a lot of motivational stuff. So it's sort of like, well, why did you read that book? Did you read it because you thought it would just be interesting and fun and rewarding, or did you read it because you were assigned to read it for school? Right. And there are some extrinsic motivators. You're not really doing it for it, itself. So the idea was in, in that paper is they wanted to kind of take that framework and think about it in terms of relationships, what things are kind of intrinsically valuable to making the relationship work, what things are more extrinsic, more about things that sort of look good on the outside, like somebody being successful or attractive yeah. or exciting or interesting. 
Now, some would call that shallow <laughs> versus deep. I mean, is that is that just? I'm sure that's just you know too simple. I don't know if I'd call it shallow <laughs> yeah. versus deep because also one of the things you want to remember about this particular study is that they used couples who were already together. So it's not as that's though right. these people just went for somebody who was who was in their mind, you know, some kind of ugly loser. Yeah, they're so nice they like them anyway. These are people they already chose to be with. So presumably they met some kind of bar initially um, in order to even be in the relationship. And then what they looked at was, well, to what extent does this person sort of meet your perfect ideal on those traits? Mm -hmm. And it seems like like you'd want – that's a big deal because you would want your partner to intrinsically, just out of the goodness of their heart – want to love you, serve you, be there, be compassionate, instead of extrinsically doing it so they could get something. <laughs> right, right. So I guess I think that's part of why, you know, it, it could also be that maybe people that um, value those things or value those things and their partners might be happier. I mean, one of the things they actually also talked about in the paper was that people who themselves just generally tended to value the intrinsic traits were more likely to have partners that they felt were meeting their needs in terms of connection and and independence and and competence. These people were actually helping them to kind of be better people. So it was like the people that that focus more on those as their more important ideal traits actually had partners who were, in a sense, more supportive of them. And these people who had partners who matched their ideals on those traits were happier. Yeah, you know, you would think some would just say, shouldn't love just be a lot easier than this? But but the reality is it's we, we're naturally and intuitively going to go after these needs, right? Intrinsic and extrinsic. And we're constantly kind of judging our partner and our lives and our marriages by our needs being met or not. Right. I mean, both of these things are important. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if you think your partner is an ugly loser, you're probably not going to be too happy. Right. But um, the idea is if you're kind of choosing between somebody who's, It'd be cute, but nothing to write home about. Pretty interesting to talk to, but it's just the nicest, warmest, most easygoing person, as opposed to somebody who's pretty nice, relatively easy to be around, but it's just gorgeous and super exciting. Yeah. Uh, the idea is that both of those, they, they have good qualities, but the first one might actually make you happier than the second one. Here's that's a, sort of what the research suggests. Okay. Okay. And so here's a, here's a curveball. You ready? Okay. You're a pro of this. So um, do these do these traits and and my expectation of of what I want and then those needs being met, does that create my chemistry for someone, my attraction to them? So, um, or is it is it is chemistry outside of all of this? That's an interesting question. I mean, I would say it's probably some kind of a mix. I mean, certainly yeah. if there are certain traits that you especially value in a person, then the odds are you're going to be especially attracted to that. So if you really like someone who's, you know, an exciting, adventurous person and you say, oh, yeah, that's my ideal person is very, very adventurous and someone else says, oh, not so much, right, you're going to value that person differently. I mean, one of the things that's interesting about this study is they actually looked at um, the extent to which you thought that that particular trait was you know, ideal in a partner. So you uh-huh. can say, okay, I want my partner to be a nine on on looks or intelligence, or I want my partner to be a seven. You know, not everybody necessarily wants their partner to be a nine yeah. or being adventurous, right? If you're not very adventurous, maybe you don't want a nine. 
so we're looking at you know, the extent to which the person kind of met whatever it was that you thought was sort of the ideal version of that trait. So I would think that the closer the person is to the ideal, the more you're going to feel this kind of chemistry. But I do think that once you're in a relationship, it does shift your priorities and it can shift the way you see the person. It's not that your priorities of what's most important are totally static or that the way you see the person is totally static. You know, your perceptions of your partner can change. As yeah. things are going well in the relationship and they're really nice to you and everything's wonderful, then you're likely to see them more positively over time. Yeah. Whereas oh, if totally. things are going really badly, you know, as you know what happens, you'll break up, right? Right. Uh, certainly, you start seeing them very negatively. So I think probably both sides of this are dynamic. And that study only looked at people just at one time. It measured them once. That's but, right. I mean, and, and, and it, it's also it's so complicated. And yet, what I love about it too, though, in, in the article, it, I mean, you made it simple. You 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 made it a little easier to understand. And also, it's um, it's it's an art, right? So we've kind of got to we got to maybe you know take it all with a grain of salt, and yet know that you know perfection may not be there, but we can we can work it. We can we can do what we need to do. Uh, Doctor Gwendolyn Seidman, we appreciate you and your insight on this. Great work. And, and again, go check out Psychology Today. Look up Gwendolyn Seidman, and you'll get uh, more information about um, about that article that we've just talked about, and plus other articles she's written. Interesting stuff, my friends. Uh, choosing a partner, it's a big deal. Um, we're going to take a break, though. When we come back, we're actually going to go to a partnership, uh, yeah, BYU Sports Nation. Let's see if they made the right choice. They seem to be getting along just fine. We'll take a break. Come back. Talk to Jerem and Spencer down in BYU Sports Nation after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It is now our distinct pleasure and honor to take our small, small show down to Studio 2, Studio B. No, we're 2. Yeah, they're B. BYU Sports Nation and our good brethren, Spencer and Jerem, hanging out in Studio B. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Hello man. Yo, 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 yo. We got a huge echo. Okay, it went away. <laughs> wow. Oh. I don't know if you guys could hear that. That was devilish. Yeah, could, wow. you, could you hear that? I could totally hear it. I not only heard it, I felt it. That was awesome. Hello, Matt. That's, that's you, the point you, of all you, our programming. You, you, you feel. <laughs> we wanted to get right to your core. Hey, I'm glad you know your place in the kingdom. Oh, my heavens. the size of and importance of no. shows here. Absolutely. Broadcasting. What? You know, I saw it this morning. I was in the little kitchen area, and Jerem walked in uh, to get his oatmeal, actually to empty his oatmeal. <laughs> That he didn't eat because, Jeremy, your mother will be disappointed. It's just for show. And uh, he asked me to step aside. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> Move did. out of the Actually, way. Actually, he didn't. Sorry. His security did. Yeah. Why do you have a security detail yeah, so Jeremy, early in the morning, guys? Why do you need guys? that? Because we can afford it. Why not? They're that's, just ex- that's the question I ask myself. Why not? <laughs> They're just the ex-BYU football players. Jerem's a volatile personality. He needs some extra protection. Yes, he does. He's also... I don't even know what... He's wiry. (laughs) What wiry? That's accurate. (laughs) I don't know what that means. Hey, isn't today the day, Spencer, that we're going to do the race, the, 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 the... 
time test? You know, it was scheduled to be that way, but then BYU football had to uh, change venues for their final spring scrimmage, so we're doing it next Friday. Oh, man. It's still going down. The anticipation must be killing you. Know, you know, honestly, like, I just want to get it over with. I'm like, man, another week. Can I, you want a suggestion from me? Yes, I would love a suggestion. Again, I have a PhD and two master's degrees. How can I run a 4-9, Matt? Uh, carbo load up. Okay. The night before, I would eat 500 buckets of pasta. 500 buckets? I don't know what a bucket Seems is. Seems slightly extreme. Okay, do 300. I don't know if I'll show up for the race after that. You can't get enough carbs. That's what my mom used to say. Okay, carb, carb load it. Hey, I know what you can do. You know how we always on the show, we, whenever we like bring up Marvel comics, like Jerem gets all jazzed and excited. I like he, the movie. You just you mentioned the word Marvel. I know. like, what? He just perks right up. I got one for you, Spence. Okay. A brand new show's coming out. Okay. Disney. You're going to love this. Radio Disney. No. We're all ears. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay Jerem, conti- continue on Jerem, that thought we process. Jeremy, we're going to need a private session. Okay. <laughs> um, Disney sets, they're ready to go do a live action Winnie the Pooh series, or a Winnie the Pooh film. Live action. Winnie a the live Pooh. Live action Winnie the Pooh? In the, real, in the real world. Yeah. Okay, here's the thing. It just oh, so bother. happens that uh, Jerem's daughter, Venna, is on a big Winnie the Pooh kick right now. So not only is Jerem the number one uh, guy for uh, Marvel, Marvel. He, he would also be the Winnie the Pooh guy right now, too. How come Jerem hogs all of the great media stories we're doing? I don't know. you got security. La- last night, uh, my sister-in-law babysat our daughter, and she said, Pooh! But she was saying Winnie the Pooh, yeah. not the other one. Yeah. So... My sister-in-law Jimmy, said, oh, you Jimmy need to go to the bathroom. Do you want to sit on the toilet? And took her over to the toilet, sat around it. And she's like, no, done. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Oh, she now, saying Winnie the she's 14, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, that's always my favorite joke. You tell something like that, and they say, yeah, that's my 16-year-old. Um, so, guys, what's going to be on your show? We bring Winnie the Pooh to the game. What are you bringing? We've got white Christopher chocolate. Christopher Robin, we've got, Acre Wood. We've got white chocolate today, a.k.a. Bronco <laughs> Mendenhall on the show. He's so smooth. Y'all. White tell, me you saw, tell me you saw that dance move, Matt. I did. We did see. Oh, no, because we, we went on the air with you. Oh, sorry. No, I didn't. Oh, you need, you <laughs> I was need watching, to see the vine. I was watching the, the whole video before. Anyway, no, I'll go watch the vine. I'll, let me go look that up right now. Yeah, you need to see both vines that BYU Sports Nation's Twitter account sent out. Uh, the front row of seats. Uh-huh. I will not name specific names other than Jeff Jones. But they were all dancing. We're all dancing. They were attempting to dance? Yes. Yeah. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't right. It, it was, was a glorious, glorious moment. No, but didn't you get a deep, deep inside you, didn't you get a weird feeling? Like, that's just not right. <laughs> anyway, that's a great vine. I, I don't know if I can answer that question. I know. You don't want to. I understand. You're on a different side of the building. Uh, what else is going to be on the show? Not the, the white chocolate's not enough. Yeah, Bronco on the final day of spring scrimmage. We got some really good questions. What was the biggest improvement his team made? Also, what he wants to see most uh, from his team moving forward. Like, how will he gauge success? Well, Brian Logan on the show as well. Uh, Brian's always entertaining. Oh, yeah. Questions about the BYU secondary going into next season. They lost uh, three starters. So, mm. how are they doing? Last day of spring, it's, it's kind of exciting but a bummer because after today, there's no football until August 1st uh, <sighs> or thereabouts when BYU begins fall camp. Yeah. yeah, out in the desert. The long, lonely summer. <laughs> but that's when you guys get to earn your money. 
That's exactly right. We're actually not paid until the summer. <laughs> it's reverse now, teacher. This is when you guys start not knocking doors, isn't it? Exactly. You, start, you go out and knock Security. Doors. We're selling security. Pest control. Man. Security What's system. <laughs> anyway. Listen, you're making money, then I'm making money, right. then they're making money. We're all making money. All I need you to do is get three friends. Okay, you sign up three <laughs> friends under you, and we all make money. That's I every promise single... it's not a pyramid scheme. <laughs> Well, we just killed any support financially we had. <laughs> Guys, have a great show. And uh, Winnie the Pooh, it's out. Uh, it'll come out probably in two years, three years. But it's probably going to rain. Hey, Eeyore. Oh, Eeyore. <laughs> this oh, is fun. I've lost my tail. <laughs> okay, boys. Be good. Have a great Bye. show. Take care. Bye, Matt. Good stuff. Yeah. White chocolate. I want a name like that. Is that too much to ask? I think so. I think it's a it's a step too far. White chocolate, Matt Townsend, step too far. Uh, how about white fudge? <laughs> white fudge. You can't even say it without. By the way, they put a new spit guard on my uh, yeah. my my microphone. I don't believe it's which called protected a, me from it's not that. called a spit guard. But. Well, I think what it's called it's a uh, I think it's a badminton racket. It could be. It's it's about or a ping pong. On an arm, and it's uh, so I feel palette. like I'm talking through a, I don't know, a racket. Now, the Winnie the Pooh is it live action? It's gonna be live action. See, they've been doing live action. Disney yeah. has. They have a Cinderella. Mm-hmm. They just announced. Um, is it Mulan? They're gonna do live action. Is really? that what it is? I don't know. They're they're doing a lot of these at over the weekend. The Rock was on The Rock Saturday Night Live. They did a their version of a live action Bambi. <laughs> but it was That's like 10, 15 years down the road when yeah. Bambi has an attitude and he's going to get even for the hunters that uh, killed his mom. Like You mean like Bam B. Yeah, he's standing there with a gun and they have cars. Oh, he's coming. It's payback. Yeah, it's payback Bambi. time. Bambi. Revenge. Payback. The revenge. <laughs> it was funny. The white it's kind of how I saw a live action Bambi. Hmm. I mean, you could do it, you know, as the movie, but that's kind of depressing. Well, but, but I think they're trying to not only—they're trying to, like, take Winnie the Pooh, and they're going to take, you know, Eeyore, Tigger, and they're actually going to throw them as a unit into an Iraqi battle. Nice. That the United States government finds that it, they're the only people that could save them, yeah. the only animals. Well, yeah, because they're so kind-hearted and tender. And it just so happens that in Iraq, the enemies are holed up in a honey factory. Where they process honey. That's a good tie-in. Thank or you. at least they say it's a honey factory. Next to a donkey farm. Thanks for noticing me. <laughs> Eeyore. So it's going to be a great show. And uh, they're call- it's kind of a mix between Winnie the Pooh and Platoon. And speaking of that, if they go, yeah. if they take the characters from Winnie the Pooh and send them in, or Bambi, and send them in to help, they need a travel guide of some kind. A guide on the side. And the Mother Jones website has found an ISIS travel guide online. Are you trying to segue to another story? This is a really bad segue. So you're, to you're telling story. me we're done with this segment. Yeah, and we're, we're moving, moving on. to it. So ISIS. I was kind of having fun. James, were you having fun with that? I was having so much fun. They have magazines and cookbooks. Guess we're done. Yeah. You, they even also, the kids were having fun. They also have a travel guide. Mother Jones uncovered. Why, do, why, do, why does an ISIS? Why does ISIS need a travel guide? Because when you have jihadists on the other side of the planet, That's they true. need to know how to get in. How country. do you get a jihadi from? How do you go go from one, the United States to yeah. Syria, Iraq, and that? I get it. Okay, now I get it. Mother Jones, it's a website. They've uncovered the Haraji to the Islamic State. I'm not saying that correctly. 
You just offended a I'm lot. I just of offended a lot of people. Jihadis. It's a 50 page ebook offering suggestions for Western jihadists who want to join ISIS. The tips include benign travel advice like wear your most comfortable sneakers ever, as well as terror based tips like how to sneak a good knife into Syria. The tips also suggest buying a plane ticket for Spain or Greece rather than Turkey yeah, yeah. to avoid suspicion and then travel by ferry or bus to Syria later. Mm-hmm. It also encourages would-be jihadists to study up on popular tourist destinations in case they are interrogated by airport security. Where are you going? We're just going to this tourist place. Right. Interestingly, the guide suggests finding ISIS contacts by searching for ISIS-related Twitter accounts. Plus, if you order now the Jihadi Handbook, you can get a free yeah. Jihadi travel jacket. <laughs> a light jacket. A windbreaker. A windbreaker, if you will. With our ISIS logo. So the travel guide is added to their magazines and cookbooks that you can also find at a fine internet site somewhere Holy buried. Cow. It's turning somewhere. into... It's a multimedia empire. It really is. Yeah, they have talk shows. We talked about that before. Uh, they have, they have their Twitter and their Facebook, and I mean, they are really trying to get their message. It's like Turner. It's like a big media company, and they're opening their own travel. The author we had yesterday about ISIS. Mm-hmm. I'm reading his book. Yeah, I've read like ten pages. He's already covered how, uh, at one point, President Obama mentioned. They were asking about this ISIS group, and he said, well, you know, when the JV team puts on the Lakers uniforms, they don't all of a sudden become Kobe Bryant. Oh, big mistake. And then a few weeks later, after ISIS goes out and just blasts all this information on Twitter and social medias, all of a sudden it turns into this huge thing because that our government underestimated originally. I'm telling you, man. Don't underestimate. And don't ever equate anybody that has a travel brochure right they have a full it's probably full color ebook i don't know where you'd find it but yeah wow that news comes to you from the matt townsend show that's information most people would not get i don't know if you can really use it but it's stuff that makes you go huh 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 well that's the show my friends it was great to be with you again we can't do the show without you so uh please tune in monday monday through friday Uh, 9 p.m. to noon Eastern Time. This is the Matt Townsend Show trying to give you the tools to live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, better life. Take care, my friends. Have a great weekend. And until Monday, uh, go find the good.